Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. It's one of those walk hard moments where like, you, you will not see the penis coming. You, just won't, you won't see it. You know, yeah, all nobody it- really ever does. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined by barrett share from cinema sins hey. and today jonathan watkins will be filling in for jeremy scott hello and hello. uh we're gonna not do our bracket today we'll get back on the bracket next time jeremy's here mm-hmm. uh but uh we're gonna do a normal uh show today yeah we're it's just do- easy into me yeah we're gonna do rants we're gonna do recommends and warns might even have some time for some questions we're playing the hits today baby that's right that's right <laughs> um uh yeah we had uh we've had quite a bit of 24 hours no uh, kidding uh but uh in nashville tornadoes hit last this morning actually Mm -hmm. um and so like uh we're cool but there are a lot of people out there who are not Nope. Yeah. yeah this is one of the deadlier tornadoes that have hit this area right through downtown uh it's it's tragic and there's so much property damage a place that we've been, I guess, have you and I been to Basement East? I have I, been. I have, yes. So we've been separately. I was there with LaRange, actually, one. Oh, night. yeah. And uh, it's, I think, completely destroyed. Oh, uh, no. A lot of uh, East Nashville stuff is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Mount Juliet. it's just, Mount Juliet, it's, it's very, very sad. But yes, if you haven't heard by now, we are all, as a CinemaSense team, uh, fine. Yes uh so we are gonna go right into stuff that may not be all that important but this has got to be a show that stands on its own that's right doesn't so so who what are you guys pissed off about i feel like i'm taking crazy pills i'm as mad as hell you've never seen me very upset all right okay all right all right right. okay all right nbc the the (laughs) vaunted network which is, I, I want to go on a whole sub-rant about networks and being, you know, dinosaurs at this point. NBC is now going to put all of their chips in on a new series, mm. a new television series, mm-hmm. uh, a network series called Langdon. Okay. If Langdon sounds familiar to you, it's because Robert Langdon was the protagonist of all those Dan Brown mm-hmm. novels. Da Vinci, da Vinci Code. Code, Angels and Tom Demons. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Everything he's in is, an, is a right. <laughs> <laughs> Inferno. <laughs> Think about Tom Hanks in that terrible haircut. Uh, so Langdon is going to be their, their new show, and it's going to be patterned off of the... Uh, the Lost the, Symbol, the third. It's the one that hasn't been filmed. Yeah, the novel, The Lost Symbol, which is a terrible novel. Now, mm. I, I have read... Most of Dan Brown's content, I've read Da Vinci Code, read Angels and Demons, read The Lost Symbol, read the one after that. Inferno. Uh, Inferno. And uh, to me, they've gotten progressively worse. I think it, Angels and Demons came before Da Vinci it Code. Did. It did. It's book a, form. But in the movie, yeah, they, they made it afterwards. Because Da Vinci Code was the hit. Like, I don't think Angels and Demons was that big of a hit right. when, when it came out. Yeah. So, and, uh, so okay. 
It's a it's a Harvard symbologist. Yes, which is a thing that doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> and 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 they're going to follow this uh, in, in a new network TV series. My my beef with this is that God damn it, you're taking you know, known IP, repackaging it, and serving us like a fish stew with with fish that's been sitting out over the weekend like the anthony bourdain thing yes <laughs> exactly short, yeah exactly and i'm and I'm, I'm just sick of this shit now the only caveat to this was that i i saw a, a few episodes of hannibal uh when it was still airing oh, it's, H- hannibal's very different though. it's a whole different animal yeah hannibal should have been a cable show it was yeah absolutely and it was cast brilliantly and it was done i think very yeah. very well uh, but otherwise, it's just all this fucking rewarming and just shoving shit at us that that just annoys me on a on a human level. When you see Netflix out there, Netflix Netflix isn't a hundred percent, but they do give you stuff like Into the Fucking World. Uh, mm-hmm. They give you stuff like Sex Education. They've got some very good series on there. Amazon has Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, uh, Man in the High Castle. Hulu has several series. I'm just saying. Why? Why must we do this? Are they go? Are they do? Are they going to fail at some point? I hope they do. Yeah, maybe. I I will say this. I like the idea of taking like uh, a series, a book series, though, and turning it into a TV show. And I will argue, Amazon actually did a very has done a very good job with this with Bosch. Oh yeah, Bosch is actually a fucking excellent show. But mind you, it's on Amazon, right. so they can kind of do like a cable thing where you know they don't have to worry about network regulations and things like that. And they're literally doing where, but it's not like a procedural either. It's not like a case of the week. They're taking like a book or two of Michael Connolly's books and that's the season, mm. right? They're just adapting those books. Whereas like, for instance, recently, another one of these, uh, the Jeffrey Deaver Lincoln Rhyme series yeah. uh, just became a show on uh, on NBC. Yeah. Hunt for the Bone Collector or whatever right, they call it. Right. I watched like the first two episodes of that thinking it was just going to be an adaptation of the Bone Collector. And while that is going on in the background, it's still one of those fucking case of the week shows, and it's not interesting. So I quit watching it very quickly. And I have a feeling that's what they're going to do with this. It's the and lowest Claire, common... And, uh, Clarice is coming out, too. Oh, was from uh, Silence of the Lambs or from... Yeah, the Tom, yeah, it's Tom just going to be a... It's going to be a show following Clarice Starling. Fantastic. It's just like... It's just the, the, the lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. and it's annoying. It's offensive as a viewer... That uh, that they they expect us, and they probably will. They probably will have a hit out of one of these adaptations. Well, mm-hmm. And I think the networks have to, they have to go at it differently. They can't they can't compete with Netflix and cable. So that's why you get. I mean, you know, reality shows obviously are a big thing for them, like seeing in competitions and Survivor and stuff like that. And then they do a lot of these procedurals, like these Chicago fire and mm-hmm. <laughs> well they have four different chicago things that always that, they always cross that, that's fucking over dick, that's dick wolf man that dick wolf dude man he'll just he'll do that with law and order before he did it with chicago mm-hmm. you know yeah uh yeah. do we know who's playing clarice starling um i honestly i don't i think they did i think they have caster the first you know who the first person shot into my head just because redheadedness and everything deborah ann wall oh that would be good rebecca breeds She's from the originals and Pretty Little Liars. Okay. Um. All right. Yeah, I agree. That's some bullshit. Okay. Stop. <laughs> stop giving us all this shoveling at us and everything. <laughs> and I mean, then, then I can tell I've got you fired up right now. And I will say they do occasionally. Um, they do occasionally come up with something. I mean, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist is a current show that I would argue is very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Good Place, which just ended. 
uh, was a very good show. But I mean, those are and there's some really good sitcoms on right now. Superstore is an excellent yes, show. Yes, and those uh, are the Black-ish. ones. That, and those are the ones that get talked about because yeah. they are they are individualized enough. Yeah. The Good Place is a fucking miracle. Mm. Uh, that that not only. Uh, did they get to do what they wanted to do? Yeah. But they let it run out with super high concept, but also like just slapstick humor too. And that, but that, and it's also it. That's a show that works on the network though. Like I don't think that would have necessarily been better as a as a cable show. Those are few and far between. Just like and The like, Office is one of them too. You know? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, but like currently, I mean, I I think Superstore is just amazing. I agree. I, I agree. Mean, just every and every it just seems to keep getting funnier. Brooklyn Nine Nine's the same way. Yep. You know so. Uh, so maybe maybe they need to concentrate on sitcoms, but then you still have a bunch of bullshit on there. Like, uh, like uh, I don't like the Goldbergs. I know a lot of people do. I think mm. that show's stupid. Bob loves Amadola or whatever that show's called. And, and, and uh, according to Jim, is probably still on there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, dude. Yeah. I think Last Man Standing, that Tim Allen thing. I think that's still oh, running that's, on. Yeah, something. that got moved to. Is it Fox? CMT? Or, and well, it, no, what, yeah, is, that, Fox. is that on its what eighth season? I don't know. At least it's, all, it's been on. A I long mean time. that well, not uh, that fucking like that Joey. Uh, the, not Joey. Uh, <laughs> Matt LeBlanc show is still fucking on where he's like Man of the People or Man in the Middle. Or uh, <laughs> man in the Mirror. <laughs> Malcolm in the middle <laughs> haven't haven't seen a second of it but every now and then it'll just it's, it's like that fucking rules of engagement show that lasted like eight years and you're like who's watching this show mm-hmm. right yeah exactly <laughs> although I, I think the the show blue bloods the with mm-hmm. tom Selleck, i think that's still running because when i come home on friday nights yeah, if we're out oh is that it's fucking running is that the show that on. started with jennifer lopez on it no, 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 that's a different. I think that had blue in the title, though. That was like a that was like a summer show or something. But uh, that ran on for a few years too. Oh, did it? Because I thought yeah. it, I thought the big deal with that show was that they did a season for and it was successful, day. and then Jennifer Lopez was like, "Nope, I'm too big for this." <laughs> I, uh, I want to say it was like Shades of Blue or something Uh-oh. like that, but it was it lasted like maybe a couple years. No, I think you're right. Like it got it was too expensive or something. Like it was kind of a hit, mm-hmm. but it just keeping her there and everything. It was, and I do like that the networks are trying to scale back a bit with a lot of shows, and they're trying to do shorter seasons. Like that's what the Good Place did. I think that's a great idea because mm-hmm. um, that's been very successful with their reality shows. That's why you get like two voices a year if, if you find that a positive or negative. But I'm just saying that's worked out very well for them, man, money wise. Back in the day where they had the 26 episodes or 22 episodes, yeah. uh, the the idea was they didn't have enough to new product to come out with throughout the entire year but now you can do a short season of something and then replace it immediately with something else Mm because you've got there's so many things getting made so Absolutely. Um, by the way, it was Shades of Blue. Okay, right. and it ran for three my, years. Pulled Look that out you. of my ass. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I never, never watched it, but I do remember it. I just, you know, Jennifer Lopez grabs your attention if mm-hmm. she's on if she's on TV. Yeah, so. I, I actually thought that it was a it was a hit after one season. Yeah. She's like, oh, see you guys, peace. <laughs> <laughs> uh what do you have anything that makes you mad i don't have any i'm not really like horribly mad about anything but i there is one thing that i just think is really bizarre this is really minor very minor but i thought it was funny to bring up did you like we've been watching a lot of movies lately because we go we do the mini pods Mm -hmm. and you've seen previews to lovebirds right Mm mm-hmm with uh, can, is it Kanil? I always pronounce it. Kamel Nanjani. Kamel Nanjani. Issa Rae. Issa Rae. So, have you seen this? Have mm-hmm. you seen this preview? Okay. Yeah. So there is a bit in the. Tr- you guys haven't talked about this. Have you? 
We actually <laughs> talked did about talk it a bit, about it. Um, but uh, I don't know if you, if you talked about this bit, you can cut me out. But, but th- well, oh, we, no, we uh, haven't ranted oh, or okay. anything about it. We it, talked about it in that parade thing. Yeah. So yeah, okay. It's a very minor rant, and I'm just it, I just don't know how this speaks to to young people these days. But there is a scene in that trailer where they are clearly, clearly mocking or parodying eyes wide shut yeah like yeah they're, yeah they're i know a, i do know what you're about to they're, say they're in a room they all have masks on there's something going on like that looks kind of sexual or something on a stage and then they uh the one of the guys is like you know we have you know strangers amongst us or whatever everybody remove your mask and then Issa ray and kamel nanjani take off their mask and he's like oh we're the only ones with our mask off and then she says this is some Handmaid's Tale bullshit. Right. And I'm like, that's not fucking Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is Eyes Wide Shut. It's like, are we so, like, can we not make an Eyes Wide Shut reference because it's been 20 years, even though they're clearly doing, like, an Eyes Wide Shut scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, and, and maybe it makes more sense in the context of the movie. And this movie actually does look very funny. It makes me wonder if she did a bunch of takes and then yeah. they, they threw that in the, in the trailer. <laughs> the trailer guys didn't care about what was being said. And maybe they she does say eyes wide shut maybe i don't know but i just every time but i've seen that now because that trailer you know we you were talking about you saw invisible man like i feel like i see that trailer in front of everything but you know now. what it also could be character error type stuff it could be look I, i'm i'm not defending it no, because no. i have the same reaction <laughs> and we haven't seen the movie in context I've, of the movie it could be fine i've seen this i have the same reaction <laughs> like it makes that joke fall completely flat <laughs> when it's so obviously not handmade sale i mean not even close right. i mean other than they're like wearing red but that's like there, the only it could thing. be character error thing where they where where someone like disassociates uh, uh something like eyes wide shut with handmaid's tale i am i am strangely looking forward to that movie though because i really like both of them uh, anna camp's in it who i just yeah i, I just anna adore camp. anna camp yeah she's great i don't want some grease on my face <laughs> uh, but uh He's like, you're gonna get you're gonna get the horse or you're gonna get graced to the fight. <laughs> trailer's funny, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh hopefully they're not showing all the funny moments. But yeah, hopefully that scene makes more sense within context, or like you said, that's the take that's not it's like the uh it's like the Yellowstone uh joke in the major league trailer that they actually ended up using in another se- in a sequel. Yeah, yeah, which in is the second one. One of the weirdest trailer things ever. Well, and- yeah, because <laughs> what was weird about that was that the the first trailer had that so prominently that it actually we tricked ourselves into thinking that was in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So when they did it in the second one, I was like, <laughs> same joke, guys. <laughs> And for anyone that doesn't know, it's Jake Taylor and Rick Vaughn, Charlie Sheen and Tom Berenger are having a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, he says, there's a lot of parks that ball couldn't have gone out of one. He says, name one. And then he says, Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. That's in the trailer for Major League. It's not in the movie. And then in the second one, it's, it's like in, Rene Russo says yeah, it too. Yeah, it's in Major League 2. So it's, <laughs> oh, it's so weird. But th- anyways, yeah, I, I just, I just, every time I see that trailer and, I, and it's not coming out for a few weeks. So we're going to see this fucking trailer for like five more weeks. It's the, it's the and same. It's going to drive me nuts. It's the same thing when uh, TJ Miller in Deadpool uh, does that thing where he's like uh he calls somebody a remnant from blade 2 or something when <laughs> when clearly blade trinity is out there for the taking yeah. with ryan reynolds <laughs> in front of him yeah. and <laughs> and it sucks that he uses blade 2 yeah. yeah in that in that moment because you're, you're right it could be an alternate take situation i was watching a bunch of paul rudd outtakes just because the guy's a, a fucking genius and like uh, i love you man 
the names that he comes up for uh, for Jason Siegel's character, mm-hmm. are, he's got like six or seven of them, and it ends on Jobin. He's like, all right, <laughs> see, see you later, Pistol. And he's like, all right, Jobin. <laughs> yeah. we, but he runs through like five or six different takes. Did we it just, could have been any of those. Did we just use that as an outtake? Is that why that's that sounds very familiar? I've heard that recently know. for some reason. Anyways. I did use an I Love You Man uh, fairly recently. I think it was probably the slap in the face. <laughs> that, that movie's so fucking great, yeah, man. Is. Yeah. We've been to that restaurant. Kyle, mm-hmm. who's that he kisses? Um, with the the guy from the state. What's his name? The actor, uh, Thomas Lennon. Uh, Thomas Lennon. Yeah, that scene. <laughs> that's just a. Oh, it's such a that's such a brilliantly well done scene. Like just everything about that is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation he has, uh, with um with uh Quincy Jones' uh, daughter, Rashida, Rashida, Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones. Uh, after that's really funny too. She's mm-hmm. like, "Why do you taste like cigarettes?" <laughs> yeah, I've got you in my iPhone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Paul Rudd is so He's delightfully so dorky in that movie. That's so crazy. Yeah, I just called you Joven. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because Jason Siegel's character is hey, like he takes him a second. He thinks he's going to get off the hook. He's like, all right, Jobin. And like he turns and Jason Segel's like, what did you just call me? He's like, you called me whatever. I called you Jobin. <laughs> he called you Jobin. Um, okay. So I don't, this is not a rant that I, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not pissed or anything, but um, because, because of this very reason that we're, we are seeing so many movies lately in the theater and everything. Um, I remember when I would be in charge of putting movies in their proper auditoriums and everything like that, uh, so that you would get the right amount of people in them. And, uh, on Thursday, uh, when the movies are opening, uh, there is, I don't think there's any thought put into where those new movies are going to go. They're just like, ah, we're going to cancel. I mean, they've been already told to, they've already been told what to cancel so they'll put um you know they'll put uh the new movie in a, an auditorium with something that's leaving and mm. then usually that something that's leaving is in a small auditorium mm. uh and so the big movie comes into this small auditorium and uh th- yeah it, there's a chance that it might not do a uh, slam bang business mm-hmm. but you always want those in the big auditorium mm-hmm. on a thursday night and there's absolutely no reason not to do that on a weekday uh you you can actually have especially with digital these days there is no reason to schedule your thursday where uh you don't have your shitty movie in the big auditorium Mm -hmm. because there's nothing that's going to sell out Mm -hmm. there's no movie you have on a thursday that's going to sell out unless it's like the summer or something like that that you may not want to put that big summer mm-hmm. release in a small auditorium. So I've had actually pretty decent uh, uh, experiences at theaters lately, not not due to that, but it's just something that I've noticed. Like uh, They keep putting it in these small auditoriums, and that means everybody's got to kind of rub elbows together and everything. And I'm one of these people who love space and have to have, uh, they have to have like a seat. What? Yes. And I got to have a seat that's like not next to anybody, but if somebody sits down, okay, fine, 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 fine. We'll deal with it. Uh, but you got to white knuckle your way through. Yeah. What's done is done. Um, but there's no reason. For instance, the last, last week watched invisible man, that movie is definitely going to be, a decent big hit before you even know what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. 
uh and it's in this small auditorium really yeah and i ended up actually having a seat on a row and there was wasn't anybody sitting right next actually there there may have been some people who came in a little bit later that sat down next to me but still uh there's no reason to have it in that small auditorium like i said you are not going to sell out of anything that you have on a Thursday. You can put the dumbest. And what made made it even weirder, though, is that I looked at the two big auditoriums in this theater before I went down to my theater, and they had Knives Out in one big theater. Wow. What? And they had some other movie in a in a in a big theater that definitely wasn't going to do anything. Huh. And I know that sometimes they have a contractual obligation to have certain movies in an auditorium. That's usually stuff like Star Wars. It has to be like very elite level mm-hmm. of a movie for them to do that. Uh, so, yeah, like even the movies they had in there didn't make any sense as far as, hey, let's you know put this in a big auditorium. Meanwhile, you have Invisible Man, which... Who knows if they, I'm sure they sold out or they get a bunch of people who like me when they look at the Fandango or they yeah. look at the seating chart. It's like, eh, I don't know if I want to go in this auditorium. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it looks yeah. like front row and then there might be a couple seats spread around in the middle and you know, who, who knows who you're going to be sitting next to mm-hmm. and all that. Um, it, you know, that's, that's enough. They're, they're losing money. I think a lot of times when, when that happens. Uh, because people are just discouraged from going to to buy the ticket mm-hmm. at that point. And so, yeah, that's one of those things that they, they can easily correct. Digital makes it so easy to make it make your Thursday just like, you know, okay, this movie that used to be in the big auditorium is now in a smaller auditorium. We'll put it in our next biggest auditorium. Well, that's what I was going to ask. When you were doing this, is it like a, a shuffle down effect? Like the movie is leaving for the week and that one is in the smallest theater that goes and then the next one down, yeah like basically. you can put it you can do whatever you want like and and now i come from an era where the movies weren't opening on thursdays like they are sure. right now uh uh but whenever we had midnights or 10 o'clocks or anything and i knew it was going to be huge mm-hmm. i would look at the schedule and i would be like okay i'm gonna stick this movie that is in number 17 our biggest auditorium into number 14 our next biggest auditorium and i'm going to stick this big or or you'd put it you'd put a movie that you were fairly certain wasn't going to do huge amount of business in that next big auditorium Mm. and then you'd put one of the that that you can rearrange it however you want that's the great thing about digital even when i had 35 millimeter prints though I would try to get it where things were put in the right auditorium. So, so that you were dealing with 27 theaters, mm-hmm. 35 millimeter prints, and you were doing a better job than like an eight plex or a 12 plex mm-hmm. yeah, with the, digital these, right these, now. These people these days, I mean, they don't, that's not their real job that they're focused on. Yeah. I am, a, I am certain at this point that everything is directed towards that concession stand. Uh, and maybe a couple of ushers, maybe not that many mm-hmm. ushers. But everything is directed to that concession stand because it's theaters that I go to sometimes don't even have box office people or they'll have one box office person. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. Um, and maybe they, and maybe on a weekend they, they, they've up the, you know, up their staff. But yeah, even with a 35 millimeter, I used to be like, okay, on Thursday, on Wednesday night, we need to make sure that we move prints. And I was always working Wednesday night. So mm. I took that upon myself and there may not be anybody like that anymore who's just like oh i think now they're just like eh we'll just even though it's easier they're putting less thought into it yeah right? yeah and they're they're leaving money on the table for sure yeah 
For yeah, sure. sure. Well, and slight rant about the concession stand thing too. I, I don't know if this bothers the two of you. And granted, most of because uh, I've got the Ace, the A list Stubs membership or whatever. I I I get all my tickets in advance because I have to, and then they'll just like scan them. But I still find the whole concession stand ticket and food thing really awkward. Mm-hmm. Like it's just always an awkward transition. It's like okay, so uh, I also and then they'll be like, you know, your movies at blah blah blah, and they'll be like, well, I also need to order food. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I mean, maybe this is just me being a weirdo, but I don't, I don't enjoy that. Like, it, it, it's a very uncomfortable mm. experience for me it, for whatever reason. A lot it, of it is is due to the fact because we all grew yeah. up buying the ticket, going in and doing yeah. concession. You have a dedicated person here and a dedicated person there. You also kind of feel like you have to buy concessions too, which is probably a smart thing on their part. I am almost guaranteeing <laughs> you some somebody in a in an office somewhere said, "Why aren't we paying these box office people?" <laughs> yeah. We, we, we can just make the concessions box office. Of course, you make the lines longer that way too. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, they have automated kiosks, but you are you are at that point at the mercy of the kiosk because you either don't have too many of them, or there's one that's always down. It yes, seems there like. is. Like they've run out of paper <laughs> yeah. is the main thing. Uh, but uh, you know, I know the theater near you has mm-hmm. always got that one kiosk that doesn't work. Yep. <laughs> and there's one sitting there, and then there's some asshole on the other kiosk who's like, I don't know what to, I don't know how to yeah, operate sure. this. <laughs> oh my god, it's the worst. Um, but yeah, that's that's a little that's a little thing that I I don't I'm not sure theaters now. And it's also here's another sad reality: they may not care about putting it in a bigger auditorium to get more people because they don't have the staff to to deal with a number, of, yeah. an extra yeah. amount of people. Because I've been to sometimes I've been to some theaters where where i'm like you have one concession person and uh star wars is opening tonight you know yeah. that it's not that <laughs> yeah. insane yeah, 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 yeah. But, but i know what you're saying but it's some something big you all yeah. know it's big oh there's like we have a okay we have a newer the so we have we have two amcs where i live and we have a brand new one that, i mean it's a couple years old now but it's fairly new and it's like in the mall and then we have our older like megaplex it's like a 16 screener that's still open and you'll go in there like on a Wednesday or Thursday night, the older one, and there'll be like three people. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's like there's 16 theaters all showing movies and there's still people that go to that one because the the newer one is smaller. So it doesn't get everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to go see a smaller movie or whatever, you go to that one. And it's just I don't know how they run it. Like, it's it's crazy to me. Yeah, I, I, I really don't think they think about that type of stuff. It's It's strange to me. I, I got into this mindset a long time ago, like uh, it probably was in the early 2000s when I would notice certain movies would do an incredible amount of business at a certain time during during certain periods and like it was stuck in a small auditorium. Mm. Nobody cared. And I would just put it on myself to just care about it, even though it doesn't give me didn't give me any benefit sure. whatsoever. Nobody said, "Hey, good job, Chris. Yeah, yeah nice job." You know, <laughs> um, and uh, and so, but I remember. I think it was oddly enough, National Treasure Book of Secrets <laughs> that was in a small auditorium, and it had come out during like Thanksgiving or something, yeah. but it had hit Christmas, and. I noticed it was consistently selling out that small auditorium oh, really? every time, like during the Christmas holiday season. And meanwhile, there was all these other movies that weren't doing anything. So I got it to the point where I would go in and uh, look at the numbers and I'd be like, okay, 
we're, what we're going to do for this weekend is we're going to move National Treasure over from this small auditorium to the biggest auditorium we have. We're going to move this one to the next biggest auditorium and we'll move this other one to the small auditorium. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, like, there were there was that period of time with the National Treasure Book of Secrets, 7 o'clock show, boom, 200 and something people in it. And then, like, the next one did it, its normal thing and the small one did it, its mm-hmm. normal thing. Wow. But nobody... No, nobody cares. Well, as a as a movie goer, you probably wouldn't think for a half a second about that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the theater you side. The only person thinking about this is you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but it makes perfect sense, and that's got to be a nice feeling to be like, I am at or near capacity. So there's no waste. There's no trim. There's no you know just empty seats. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants empty seats, right? right? You want it contained to the appropriate size theater. Something I'll think about now. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they, they, and the the other part of it is that not only is it, and this was really hammered into my head more at in New York too, because they had a district manager who thought this way too. Probably my my favorite part of that district manager was he would like, yeah, go ahead and move it to this yeah. and that and whatever. He was always like that, so I just took carte blanche to move movies everywhere when I could. But, um, but the thing is, you got to not only look at it in the terms of it's selling out this theater, but you also have to figure out what does is the, is it, is the movie that is currently in a big theater? Is it doing the kind of business that if I put it in a smaller theater, that only front row would be available. And then we'd start losing money on that one. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to, it's like get, a butterfly effect. You kind of have to like, you know, juggle it and everything, but and every once in a while you make a mistake, you'll put something in a big auditorium. It gets 50 people. And, sure. You know, do you but, refuse to sit in the front row? Like, is that pretty much a, I'm not going to that show. I, I, I do not refuse. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I know just tons of people who just, who would say there were no seats and, and you'd see a whole front row, uh, available. Um, I understand that the front row was never, I mean, they, they didn't make the front row for people to have comfort watching a movie. That's for sure. sure. Although you have have the reclining where you can almost, Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Before the recliners, you had the regular seats and you had, and I watched, I watched, uh, I watched heat the three hour heat in 1995 (laughs) cool Springs Galleria midnight show three hours front row uh and and you know there's an art to that though i mean you you have to slink down in that seat and get a better you can't get a great angle because your 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 eyes are always like darting back and forth because there's so much information to take in but i don't i don't really have like i don't have like a seat like i've never had like a seat i actually prefer end of row if i can do it just because i like to be able just to go now with the new theaters though with the recliners it doesn't matter as much but i still tend to do that Plus, that's usually where the single seats are. I don't want to get in a situation where I'm in one of those two furs with a stranger. Yeah, if yeah, I'm going yeah. by myself, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I think this podcast is now old enough that I ranted about how Nashville theaters had no reclining seats. <laughs> <laughs> I believe so. That's and, correct. And then it was like within months <laughs> they started doing yeah. it. Because uh, the first one I ever went to was uh, was Avengers Infinity War with you guys at the one by you. Mm. And then I think later that summer, was that the summer of Ocean's 8, I think? Because Ocean's 8 was the first movie I saw at our new theater, which had those seats. So mm. that was like, yeah, so it hasn't been very long. <laughs> yeah. I think the only front row, I I, I avoid the front row, uh, but I think the only front row one that I've, I've done was the Green Mile. Oh, and it's oh, a long one too. God. It was fine because it was my first date with my girlfriend. And we made out the whole time. Nice. Nice. 
so so while while Michael Clark Duncan was trying to take it back, well, yeah. well, no, yes, because <laughs> <laughs> because midway through the movie, midway through the movie, there's an emotional moment. Uh, maybe when uh, the mustache guy gets killed, uh, gets executed, mm -hmm. uh, the the one with the mask, Michael Jeter, yes, uh, and so she started crying, and I said, and I turned to her and I was like. You look so beautiful right now. Oh, great. <laughs> and it fucking worked. Of course it did. <laughs> we started I, I heard, making out. Of course, if I, did, if, and I, if I did that, she would have left. I heard some guy talking on a podcast about when Titanic came out. And he was like 17 or whatever. He says what most people don't real. He's like what most people don't factor in into all the repeat viewings is all of us teenage guys that we're taking our girlfriends who love Leo and getting to make out for three hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I swear to God, he's like at least a hundred million was made on God, teenagers touching boobs. There's absolutely no doubt about it, man. I saw it every week, man. There were, there were girls who were 14 and 15 years old who were saying, this is my eighth time seeing this movie. I'll never forget. Okay. So now we're going to go on to the recommends and warns. Totes amaze balls. There Right. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. And um, I'll start off. I I, uh, I saw a series of documentaries uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, it started with a, a recommendation from someone on Facebook saying you should watch this Love and Tosha documentary, which is about Anton Yelchin. Oh, and. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's basically just covering his whole life uh, up until his death and everything. Uh, but talking about how this kid, I didn't know this about Anton Yelchin. Uh, uh, we hadn't gotten, I don't, I felt like we didn't get enough time with him as an mm -hmm. actor to see a lot of interviews and a lot of different things. But uh, the thing that I took the most from this documentary is what a cinephile this dude was. Oh yeah. Uh, just as, so first off, his parents, uh, he, he, I think he was born in one of the Russian territories. I can't remember which, where it was. It may have been just, just Russia. He was born in the kid, the, and his parents, um, wanted to leave because there was, I think, Jewish persecution going on. And so they, they went to America and he, he basically grew up. That's where the, he grew up in California, essentially. Uh, and during this time he, he, uh, he got the acting bug and I can't remember what, if it was like a commercial or like a short movie or something like that. It was something that mm -hmm. wasn't even like that big of a deal, but he loved every minute of it. Hmm. And he was like, I'm going to be an actor now. But like, he was getting into like, uh, he was just like trying to find as many movies as he could watch. The guy watched everything from every country, knew all the directors, their styles, uh, studied them, all this. Wow. Did not know that about him. And, uh, then it, and it has a lot of, uh, actors who acted with him and like, this guy's like super professional, always there before everybody and always the last one to leave. And, uh, when it came time to talk to the director, he wanted to figure out how the director was setting up his stuff. He wanted to be a director in one of, in one of these days. And of course the way he dies is just one of those most brutal, awful, like senseless things in the world. Like, Carano do you remember from... this? The, is he, 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 so he lived in some sort of gated, uh, like at a gated house of some sort. And he drove this particular model of car 
that they had been starting recalls on because when you put it in park, it was actually in reverse or something like oh. that. And so he went and parked his car and went to go down to get the mail or something from, from next to his gate. And this car started just backing up and it pinned him up against the gate Ugh. and he couldn't, he didn't have anywhere to, he didn't have any way to say help or anybody to help or anything, I guess. Wow. Uh, nobody really knows. He was supposed to be at a party that night. And so people went to go check on him, and that's where they found him. Jesus Christ. I mean, it's the most senseless, ridiculous thing in the world. Like, it's one of the most unfair things I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. And he's so good, man. I mean, he, he was terrific in uh, in Star Trek, which I guess is, he's probably the most known for. Mm-hmm. But he's great in Alpha Dog. Alpha he's Dog is his best, in Alpha I think. I think yeah. that was the first time I saw him was mm-hmm. alpha dog if maybe he was in something before that i saw but that's the first time i remember being like oh who's this yeah he was he was, he was in, in a the... criminal minds episode yeah <laughs> oh he was that's right he was in the the better than it should have been fright night remake oh yeah that's right um, oh that's right um uh green room is a pretty interesting movie yeah green room was his last movie I star think? trek oh, wow. beyond was right oh uh, maybe yeah, it was well, it might have been the last yeah. one he shot well he's actually i'll take that back he's in um yeah it might have been the last one he shot but he's in thoroughbreds i think mm. that's like his last release mm. Okay. Um, he was actually born in Leningrad, Russia, in the USSR mm-hmm. uh, in 1989, when yeah. it was still the USSR. That's still right. not his accent in Star Trek, though, right? Like, I think that's still him doing uh, an accent. No, it's an accent. Oh. Uh, he, uh, it's definitely an uh, an affected accent. He, okay. in fact, the the thing that about that that they they get into is that he was so upset that his parents are from Russia. And he couldn't do a proper one. Oh yeah, and and he and he, he just bet. he just couldn't do it. And I guess he, I mean, he got it to the point where it was nice and it was fun. Sure. And- and everything like that. It's a that. little exaggerated. Well, he did like a, he did a Walter Koenig. I mean, he basically did Chekhov. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he did that kind of, you know, impersonation. So. Right, right. And but he was so upset. That's one of the parts of the documentary covers <laughs> is, is he <laughs> was dude. upset that he couldn't do it because his parents are from Russia and he felt like he should be able to imitate his father, at least, to try to get to do a really good Russian accent and he couldn't. What is the documentary called? Uh, Love and Tosha. Huh. Uh, the reason why it's called that is because when he would send letters to his mother, he would always sign it off. That's what they called him was Antosha. I see. see. Yeah, it is. Uh, But it's a great documentary and it's, uh, and it's something that, uh, you know, if, if you didn't, if you were interested in Anton Yelchin, it gives a, a whole bunch of character to him that I did not realize he had. Yeah, because I don't think I know anything about him. Uh, you're talking about him. He sounds really fascinating. Yeah. So that was the beginning of uh, a trio of documentaries, but I will get to those after you go through <laughs> yours. What do you got? Oh, my God. I have to follow that with uh, I have to follow something so nice and big and, and awesome with uh, I'm going to talk about Wes Craven's Cursed. Um, so, Oh, my Christina God. Christina Ricci? Huh? Is this Christina Ricci? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was another. <laughs> uh, this was another illustrious 2005. Yeah, yes. it was. <laughs> so here's the thing. So I have I follow this this uh, we these, this guy and I follow each other on Twitter and we've gotten to talk a little bit on Twitter and stuff. His name's Ryan Larson. He hosts a podcast called Keep Screaming. He's also, I believe, he talks a lot with Jennifer from uh, Modern uh, Modern Horse Horror Virgin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of how I met him on Twitter. Um, he seems like a really nice guy. He's a huge fan of Cursed. Like. Anytime there's a there's a thing going around on film Twitter or horror Twitter about underrated movies, he's always pimping the fuck out of curse. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the 15th anniversary the other day because it came out into February uh, <laughs> 2005. I had not seen it. I'm sure you haven't either. I had not seen it since I saw it in the theater like no. on a Friday afternoon and in, uh, in 2005. And at the time, remember thinking 
and 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 mind you, this was uh, speaking of it being called Curse. This was like a Curse production. There were so many things that went wrong with this movie, and I knew all about that going in. And I remember just thinking, this movie is shit. Like I just I don't like this movie at all. It might even be like one of the worst studio films I've ever seen. And so he tweeted something on the like a few days ago when it was the 15th anniversary or whatever. He's like, happy 15th birthday to Cursed. You should really give this a chance if you haven't. And I was like, you know what, man? I'm going to fucking watch this for you. And I went on Vudu, and they actually had the digital copy on sale for like $4.99. Like you could own it. So I'm like, oh, fuck, Sounds why not? Right. So I just bought it yeah. and um, and watched it that night. I will say it is not one of the worst studio films I've ever seen. I will say that now. It's not even close to being the worst Wes Craven movie, by the way. But it's not good. But it is it is fascinating. Like, it's just such an interesting movie to watch, especially if you know that they reshot 90% of the movie, mm-hmm. which and they, they got rid. They edited out a lot of people, including a main character played by Skeet Ulrich. Huh. And then they brought in other cast members, like I think Joshua Jackson. I don't think he was in the original, and he's like a major part of the current one. I don't know how much you remember about I, it. I, all I remember is the werewolf shit. So, in so Christina Ricci and Jesse Jesse Eisenberg, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think. Oh shit! Yeah, he's in that. This was like this was like he had done Roger Dodger. Is that is that the name of that movie? Yep. With yeah, um, uh, I think that was the only Campbell thing. Scott. I, yeah, I think that was the only thing I had seen him in before this. Uh, he might have been in a few other things, but that was, you know, I didn't know him very well. And he's super young, although he basically looks the same as he does in Zombieland too, because he hasn't aged. Mm-hmm. But um, they play brother and sister. They get attacked by a werewolf at the beginning of the movie, and then the rest of the movie is them trying to deal with that, trying to find out who the actual werewolf is. Because if you kill the werewolf that turns you, you're not a werewolf anymore. And there's all this other shit going on. Hold um, on, what? What if you kill the werewolf well, that, that that's, that's bit a, you? That's a certain that's a certain type of lore where there, there's there's they've done this in other movies. They've done this with vampires too. Like that's a whole thing in the Lost Boys. You're cured if you kill the if werewolf. You, that yeah, bit it's you. something like if you haven't if you haven't killed anybody yourself or you haven't turned yet, and you actually just you 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 stop the curse by killing the person who turns you and they get bit at the beginning i saw this at yeah. some point because it has christina ricci in it yeah mm-hmm. uh but i forget i forget the details yeah too. yeah so that's what happened. so basically yeah so they they um so anyway so that happens and so they're trying to do that what's interesting though is in the original version the one that they filmed i i wish i could this is one of those alternate versions i wish i could see you know we talk about that a lot in the mini pods about alternate versions of movies mm-hmm. because for instance one of the things in the original was that, and I'm going to spoil the fuck out of Cursed and, and the other one. <laughs> no! But, um, yeah. One somebody who's the- been holding on <laughs> yeah, no. to that cursed virginity for so long. So, so and this- they're like, no! I was going to watch it tonight! <laughs> so this was shot in like 2002, 2003. This was Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven mm-hmm. teaming back up again with the fucking Weinsteins, and that's why this movie became a disaster, basically. It was probably the Weinsteins. Wes Craven almost left filmmaking because of this movie. He only made a couple other ones after it, too, mm-hmm. I believe. I think he made my soul to take which is worse than this and oh, it might be and scream four which is which is better mm-hmm. but um so they're, they're they're they make the movie and like i said originally the idea was that it was going to be christina ricci and jesse eisenberg were not brother and sister and skeet ulrich played a third person and all three of them get bit by a werewolf at the beginning and then so they got rid of skeet ulrich for whatever reason they made them brother and sister for whatever reason there's some other interesting stuff in this like scott bayo plays himself in the movie <laughs> um in the original version, uh, Judy Greer plays a uh, the the always awesome Judy Greer plays an agent, plays Scott Bayo's agent or publicist or something, 
And in the original version, you find out that she's actually the uh, the the main werewolf. And then Scott Bayo, as Scott Bayo, is also a werewolf, which <laughs> that just sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and instead, what they did was when they did the new version, they made Judy Greer like the Scott Bayo werewolf, basically. And then Joshua Jackson ends up being like the 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 one that was born with the curse mm-hmm. and he's like the the main guy yeah and the scott actually, bayo version would have been better oh absolutely and he um and in the in the new version the the funny the one thing it's kind of interesting although they don't really go into it so it's not interesting but joshua jackson actually turned uh judy greer because they had sex unprotected sex mm. <laughs> so it passed through <laughs> it's like sorry you know mm. um but uh anyway so yeah so the scott bayo thing another funny thing that this movie was immediately dated too because it was shot like 2002 2003 the christina ricci character works on the craig kilborn show oh yeah and he's in it but by the time this actually got reshot and came out craig kilborn wasn't even doing the show anymore it was craig ferguson but they still have the craig kilborn shit in there because mm. like scott bayo is a guest on his on his end there's this one really weird scene where christina ricci like sucks blood off of craig kilborn's finger but um <laughs> I think I remember that. I think I remember that. <laughs> but it's uh but I don't know. It's 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 still not very good. And you can tell that like you can tell it's been tinkered with all the depth. But Wes Craven's a great director. It it looks amazing. It's got a budget, you know. Um it it might be the same guy who scored Scream. I didn't look that up, but it's got that it's got that screamed kind of score to it. It's like the loud, like, you know, the percussions and all that kind of stuff coming in. Kind of like the beginning of Scream 2 where they go down the marquee and it's like that. It bow, was. Bow, bow, it bow, was, bow, it bow. was Marco Beltrami. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I like that guy. Yeah. So the score is really good. And it, it, it you know, it's got like it's got new metal songs on the soundtrack <laughs> and everything. Um, so, you know, it look so it, it kind of feels like a, a sister movie to the Scream movies, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways. And it's definitely got some fun moments. Jesse Eisenberg actually really good in it uh or not really he's good in it there's actually this one really funny moment where they when they kill judy greer um he's got this great line delivery where the cops shoot her and then of course she gets back up and then they shoot her again and like they hit her in the head and then christina Ricci's like is she dead this time he's like yep brain matter on the floor that usually does it <laughs> um so there's some moment, but it but it but it gets really silly by the end like the whole joshua jackson twist is really poorly handled i would have much rather seen scott bayo be the killer. yeah i don't know what it makes um, you wonder what happened oh and the other main thing uh fucking like they had um oh all of a sudden i forgot his name uh rick baker designed these like awesome werewolves apparently for the movie and that was one of the things the weinsteins decided they hated Hmm. and so when they reshot it they made them do cg oh so you could have had like these cool rick baker like the guy who fucking did american werewolf in london and yeah american werewolf in london i mean you know Mm -hmm. like how can you and then thriller oh thriller yeah that's right (laughs) nutty professor you know um yeah (laughs) <laughs> but uh he uh you know so that's another really shitty thing because the werewolves look absolutely terrible especially when judy greer turns because they her transformation i mean it looks worse than like from dust till dawn like it's just yeah it's awful uh so it's a record worn like i i think it's if you're a west craven completist or you kind of like those early nine late 90s early aughts teenage horror movies mm-hmm. uh you can do worse than this uh, but it's definitely so it's not it's not the shit storm I remember, but it's still not very good. Yeah, uh, I think I put this in my worst list of 2005. <laughs> oh, I'm sure and I did. A, and 2005 <laughs> and 2005 yeah. was, was that was the year that when I did a list, I like counted up the movies that I'd seen. And so for my worst list, I didn't put like number 10, number nine, number eight. 
I put number 200, whatever it was. <laughs> it wasn't 200, it wasn't 200, but you know what I mean? Uh, I put like 135 and then on <laughs> no, down. I, I just, I, you know, I hate, I mean, I remember, I remember like really hating the movie when I saw it. And I, I guess I still don't like it. But, but um, Jesse better. Eisenberg definitely had been probably best known for Roger Dodger yeah. at that point. He was also in the Squid and the Whale, and he was also in the mm-hmm. Village uh, before the. And oh, he was, I've seen that. And he had, um, he had, he was still not as famous as Hallie Kate Eisenberg, his sister, who had been in a bunch of stuff in the '90s. Well, had, at least had been uh, either in commercials or something. I can't remember. Hallie Kate Eisenberg was more known than than Jesse Eisenberg. Sure. And then she was in that awful Regal Policy trailer, where yeah, where right. where she comes in with the with the the you know like the Jack Palance or whoever it was, a, a Sam Elliott voice dubbed over, <laughs> dubbed over. They lasted for like a minute and a half. It was interminable. And uh, and then she was also in the Insider uh, as uh, Russell Crowe, one of Russell Crowe's daughters. Oh yeah. Uh, but Jesse Eisenberg shows up around this time, the two thousand two two thousand three era and uh and uh he was not as famous as her now that's only person you can think about allocate eisenberg didn't really do much after all of that oh that's interesting he really i forgot about that it was social network that really launched him though mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah i mean i think oh in zombie land was i would say a pretty big deal. oh yeah i guess so but no, social network definitely i mean i would say social yeah, network serious was, actor i would say social network way was the one that made him a star and zombie land didn't do that great in theaters that's true uh so i mean it i think they were at that point hoping some of his mm-hmm. quote-unquote star power would help or whatever but that didn't become a hit until video also mm-hmm. i will say christina ricci's uh i love christina ricci but her forehead in hd is intense <laughs> when they have that hair parted that is intense <laughs> she looks great though in the movie <laughs> why are you looking at me like that don't talk to me about my my girl christina ricci she's perfect she's perfect no, god she, damn it she she's 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 pretty good in that movie too like i mean they, they they do the best with what they have and uh i don't know her poor career man mm-hmm. i don't know what happened but yeah, she was poised for stardom i think uh whether it was indie stardom yeah. or or some sort of elevated um like an ava green type of thing or, mm-hmm. uh but she really just leveled off Right around the mid two thousands, did well. She did Prozac Nation. Was that in the nineties? That was in. Uh, that was thing is in the two thousands. Uh, and then she did that Pan Am thing later on in the decade. That was a bad show. Uh, that TV show. Not her fault, but it was a bad show. Um, and then she did like, a couple of Woody Allen movies. L- Liz, she did yeah. the, the Lizzie Borden. I think was the last thing that was. She, like she did a Lifetime movie about Lizzie Borden, and then apparently they turned it into like a like an eight episode tv series yeah i mean i just uh, i feel like she could have gotten well she should have gotten more dead to this point and she also uh she had i think she went through some stuff personally Mm. um as well i think that she had body image issues Mm. and things like that um yeah uh, she was super open about that i feel like an asshole now saying that her forehead i forgot about that yeah i mean that's probably gonna get cut but uh (laughs) but uh but she had body image issues because i think that it was one of those things where she would show up to something and and she's obviously always been pretty thin right but like people were like oh she's looking a little hefty these days she's no she's beautiful uh uh, Casper is uh, that's a movie I watched with Mackenzie maybe a year or so ago, and that's a strangely decent movie. I did not remember it sure, being man. that decent. Yeah, yeah. 
Pumpkin is another one she did kind of later on that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy I Hollow. I love Sleepy Hollow. I do too. I like God. it a lot. I, I, and I, I think I like it more the more I watch it. Like it, it grows on mm-hmm. me big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about Ma. 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 <laughs> Octavia Spencer. I've yes. seen this. I haven't seen, I hadn't seen Ma, even though it, it got like a, a lot of uh, publicity uh, from the Blumhouse uh, sort of production angle of it the same producers that brought you get out you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing everybody's riding that coattail so much so that i thought jordan peele was one of the producers mm-hmm. he's not <laughs> but anyway i i i wanted to see ma when it was in the theaters mm-hmm. just for whatever reason missed it finally caught it the other day uh and I, I, it, this is a wreck of warn for sure have you seen it i have not uh octavia spencer is she's just like such a naturally gifted actress uh, that she's fantastic in this. The the hot girl, the hot lesbian girl from uh, Booksmart is in it. Diana oh, Silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diana Silvers. No, it's uh, Diana Silvers. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about. Um, no, not she's not the main person. Cat, Cat, Caitlin Deaver. Is right, it? right. Yeah. No, it's the other one that she makes out with oh, in okay. the bathroom. She sticks okay. her finger up her. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's funny because she this uh, this came out before or read right, you know same year. That Booksmart came out. Yeah, it might they have were, even come out around the same time. It was. They were both in May. Yeah, and so I was looking at this girl, but because it's so completely different roles, uh, I was looking at this girl. I was like, she looks really, really familiar. But yeah, it's it's the the giant girl from uh, Booksmart. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so she and Juliette Lewis is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays her mom. They move to uh, where uh, where Juliette Lewis can restart her life. Uh, she's, she's from this area. She went to high school with a bunch of people that are still in the area and they moved back from San Diego to here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then things, things unroll from there. Uh, everybody seems to know each other from high school for that generation. And then everybody's hanging out uh, in high school with the, the younger generation and those worlds collide and stuff like that. And it's enjoyable. It, it revolves around, uh, the Octavia Spencer character who is nicknamed Ma she gets the kids booze and they party over at her place. And you're like, why is she doing all this? It's because she can feel included as one of the cool kids, even mm-hmm. though she's much, much older. Mm-hmm. It's because of some shit that happened way back when she was in high school. Mm-hmm. And it's at this point, I don't think the movie knew what to do with itself. It had several different interesting storylines because she is not like a typical villain. She's actually like a like a real character. You could tell that she suffered some trauma back in the day, and that informs her actions with this. Her actions turn kind of villainous, but you understand the reasons for mm-hmm. it. And then it just kind of goes into a typical horror direction, especially at the end. And it's 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 unsatisfying. I really had a nice momentum the first third of it, and then it just kind of like veers off into different things. Little storylines aren't uh, told through, and it just ends in in kind of like a stock villain type of and way. I guess it's new enough to where we probably don't want to spoil it, but I I will say there is a there's a weird twist that like it. I remember still in the theater being like. It took me a second to even realize it was a twist. Like mm. I like there's a character that shows up that I forgot I had seen before. Yeah. 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 Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. At okay. the very, because it's yeah. at the very beginning. Yeah, and it's just kinda out of nowhere <laughs> when it happens at the end, you're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I didn't really yeah, I didn't really care for this. I, I was really I was I mean, I don't know if I was stoked, but I was like, Oh at the time Blumhouse was pretty you know, they're still hot, but like 
at the time, you know, it was like Get Out and Us and all this stuff. And you're like, Octavia Spencer. And yep. it's, you, this is going to be. Trailers were very good. Yeah. The trailers were great. And then I just watched it and it was just kind of, uh, OK. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, there is there is some really good stuff in here. Allison Janney. So uh, Ma, oh, yeah. the, the Octavia Spencer character, is like a vet technician. And so that's why she's in the scrubs all the time. She does all the prep work and stuff like that. Also has access to drugs uh, yeah. that they give the the animals, which plays into this. Uh, but uh, Allison Janney plays the actual vet. And uh, Octavia Spencer's always in like this dream world. She's always on her phone. She's always doing. Yeah. And Allison Janney is sick of her shit, man. Hmm. She is always like, get the fucking dog prepped. Why is this fucking dog not fucking prepped, man? <laughs> get the fuck out of here with this fucking. Just get out of here. Just get out. She's Just fucking hilarious, man. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And then um, if you've ever wanted to see Luke Evans penis for an extended amount of time, that happens. OK, uh, watch this right <laughs> afterwards. You don't know what I'm talking about where she's like moving it oh yeah yeah she like she like cranks it up <laughs> dials it up to dials it up to midnight it's like it's like it's one of those i walk- forgot who luke yeah, evans is yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. one of those walk hard moments where like, you, you will not see the penis coming you just won't you won't see it you know yeah, all of nobody it, really ever does and then, god bless him it's like a baby arm that's like, uh, yeah up. no he's he's uh he's making somebody happy yeah 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 he's like kevin bacon and wild things you're just like uh, yeah, oh yeah kara sedgwick is is getting to have that <laughs> dude uh it, this is a charming enough movie because of her mostly mm-hmm. and because of diana silvers my god she she embodies a nice like very natural eroticism that's gross mm. to say but like just just 20 <laughs> something years old yeah yeah i mean just very i don't know she's just very appealing to look at almost like a Charlize theron mm. type of uh, aura to yeah her. i agree no she's good i think it's just i think tonally this movie just doesn't work because mm-hmm. it, it goes in a different direction and even octavia spencer's performance suffers because of it and i don't think it's her bad i think it's the writing i think she just she has to like keep going on and off with this character and it, it like there's that one weird scene which was in the trailer where like she's just like you know all men are scum and then she just turns away like you know yeah, what i'm yeah. talking about yeah, like yeah. has that weird look on her face and, and before that and then she's like dancing and having fun again and it just it, no it, it yeah, doesn't work the kids the kids see this really weird behavior, and yeah. then the next day they're like, "Oh, hey, what's going on?" <laughs> and like, I mean, how? Yeah, how? How desperate are you to have a place? I don't. I don't. That that doesn't make sense either. Why they stick with her that long? Right? I don't know. And then there's there's some really ham-handed racial stuff thrown in there at oh, the yeah. very end. Oh, I was yeah, like, that, where the fuck yeah, did that yeah, come yeah. from? Right. Talking about, like the pain, or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, you it, should you should you should watch it. I've I mean, got it in there. Yeah, of course, I think, I think you would. Find it's, it it's worth watching for sure, but I don't. I don't think the movie was yeah, fully baked I, when it came I out. I agree with the Reco Warren. All right, everybody, it is time to once again talk about our friends at Movie Movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today I woke up and Toxic Avenger was on Movie. <laughs> Imagine your surprise, because I had the same moment. Yeah. Top of the page is their most recent thing. Mm-hmm. It's usually something very you know, visually lush and gorgeous and, you know, important. It's fucking Toxic Avenger. Yeah. This is the, I believe it's the movie that launched Troma. Yes. I don't think, I don't think they had had anything before then. I, don't, I, I don't honestly know, uh, don't know. Nothing, nothing of that magnitude. 1984 yeah. <laughs> uh, takes a twist on the comic book genre, whereas 
you know, where most most superheroes would uh, get dumped into the the toxic waste and they'd just become a superhero and more handsome and <laughs> and they had, can fly and all this other stuff. No, not not this guy. No. <laughs> this guy does get superpowers like strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the thing from Fantastic Four. Right. And there's so many parallels to the thing in the in the whole Oh yeah. Way. Yeah. <laughs> like uh like he he uh saves people at a taco uh restaurant and he oh. meets his girlfriend who is blind. <laughs> yeah, he he's a he's just a janitor at this gym. He's a, a very <laughs> shitty one. He's a shitty one. The the acting <laughs> is like one it, it's one of those where they're like we want you to overact. <laughs> but can you do it in another extreme kind of way oh where you're God. always like and the bad guys in this like the so-called like i guess the sub-level top bad guy in this <laughs> is one of these he's it's it's him and his crew right <laughs> him and his friend and their two girlfriends yeah and the the main guy looks like eric bogosian <laughs> uh, <laughs> he does <laughs> if he did a mound of cocaine yes yes oh my God. and he's always got this like his jaw set and his eyes are blinking and he's always like oh my god i'm gonna kill these guys <laughs> and and like um and like there's even a scene where they're all in the car and they're giving points for running people over it's very insensitive yes it's, it is. it's not even as insensitive as i'm making it <laughs> because they have special points for different kinds of people yep to yep. kill yep. yeah so uh yeah if you, you don't want to watch this movie if you're like you know you don't you don't if you're really 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 sensitive to some cer certain right thing. yes i don't think it goes this is going to be hard to believe I don't think it goes overboard as much as it probably could have. Yeah. It's not yeah. pervasive. Right. But if you like uh, it's attitudes towards gay people mm -hmm. and disabled mm -hmm. and other races, mm -hmm. not not very high oh on the list. My God. But this movie is is like weirdly fun. It is. Of, of course it is. It's, yes. It's a comedy, but like it, it, it's a comedy comic book type thing there's some like actual brilliant scenes in this oh, as sure. far as like comic timing and everything I, the the scene that i love the most in toxic adventure <laughs> is when he he goes home to uh talk to his mother and he and his mother doesn't know that she's that he's turned into this and he knocks on the door she doesn't recognize him and like instantly he's been sort of cast out of his own house and there's like this scene of him like walking down like a lonely railroad track and like oh, oh. and then he finds this trailer out in the middle of the woods to live in <laughs> he starts cleaning the tub yeah, yeah. And all, <laughs> making a life for himself oh my god it's it is genuinely hilarious at times you you got to know what you're getting into when you yes. get into this. It's very much a product of its time in 1984. It's, uh, I mean, it, it does go over the top. It's very akin to a John Waters type of thing mm -hmm. around that same era, just in a different, you know, a different sort of genre. Mm -hmm. uh, the production values are cheap, but like you said, it, it's better than it has any right to be. Mm -hmm. uh, most of it is set around this fucking health club yeah. the entire time. Where like It's exactly <laughs> what you would think of with the 80s, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Toxic yeah. waste and uh, health clubs. Mm -hmm. and, that was uh, 1980s corrupt, in movies. Corrupt government. 
cocaine. I mean, the, the the first line of actual dialogue on screen is your Bogosian boy going, look at this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a scene where where uh, a chick walks into a sauna and starts whacking off like immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, this movie's bonkers. It's, you know, when you talk about movie, there's movie. There's a lot of like high-minded stuff. Yeah. I, I don't want to boil it down to just Toxic Avenger, but that's what's so beautiful about this is that they can put something in there and you can enjoy it on a certain level in a different, completely different way than anything else on there right now. Yeah, and I believe I believe the part of the reason why it is on here is that it is a cleaned up, restored version yeah. of it. Uh, believe it or not, Troma <laughs> decided to, or whoever decided to clean this thing up a little bit, uh, and it looks fantastic for a 1984 cheap movie. Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, even though I'd seen the year on it beforehand, I was like, this seems to be like 1986, 1987, right. somewhere around there. Uh, but it's it's that gritty early '80s when we're kind of coming out of the '70s and everything. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a, there's a that's on there right now um there's uh and there's but there are a lot of high-minded things on there as well there are from all over the the world really there's a um a, a movie uh, uh from bhutan there's a really interesting movie that i saw um from jesse jeffrey dunn ravinelli uh from last year actually called so pretty and it's very it's the total polar opposite of topic <laughs> toxic avenger it's all about gender fluidity and and kind of uh sexual pervasiveness in in the the queer scene in in new york city very very engaging the performances of the two leads are really 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 fascinating uh so you could watch that uh if you go to movie.com slash cinema sins you get 30 days free to consume all of this lowbrow and highbrow mm-hmm. content uh any any type of brow unibrow uh furrowed brow uh it's on there mm-hmm. and uh we love it movie uh, curated online streaming service with some of the best movies that you'll ever see and some of the f- most fun movies that you'll ever see. Movie.com slash CinemaSins. You get 30 days, full month, absolutely free. Mm-hmm. And and so stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, right. Uh, to take a term <laughs> from 1984. <laughs> Top of the mops. Yes. <laughs> uh yeah get you some movie um the next documentary that i watched uh in this string i i think i had just seen love antosha and then jeremy started talking about the island of dr moreau (laughs) and the and the crazy story that went along with making of that so i read the article jeremy sent it to us and i was like oh yeah that's crazy and and you know this is proof positive that some of the best movies that we've seen are miracles when they get made (laughs) because you hear about so many things where one decision or Mm -hmm. another could have gone another way and would have changed the entire movie and then you get something like island of dr moreau which is is, is, it has so many different ways that it can go wrong uh and of course it did it did (laughs) and um so Island of Dr. Moreau, Richard Stanley wanted to make this movie because I believe his grandfather or somebody was a part of some story. I can't remember what it was. There's a there's a lot of parallels between Island of Dr. Moreau and uh, Heart of Darkness, which hmm. uh, became Apocalypse Now. Um, 
uh, H.G. H.G. Wells wrote Island of Dr. Moreau and Joseph Conrad wrote Heart of Darkness. I think Heart of Darkness came out first and then uh, Conrad and uh, and Wells were both buddies, but then Wells came out with Island of Dr. Moreau and that caused some sort of falling out, apparently. Oh, really? Uh, because they were, they were so similar. <laughs> you know, people go into an island and the guy who runs the island... Is Marlon a, Brando. Is, well, yeah. Is, <laughs> I was going to say, that's super interesting. Well, yeah. Well, and that's how I think they ended, uh, Richard Stanley ended up wanting to get Marlon Brando. As oh, sort really? Of, as sort of, a, uh, sort of an echo or a reflection of Apocalypse <laughs> Now. And, uh, and so, yeah, and, but yeah, Richard Stanley's grandfather or great grandfather was a part of some expedition that this island of Dr. Moreau was based off of, huh. I think. Uh, so, cause I think it's a real thing, like not, not a guy like yeah, no. making animal mutants or whatever, but it was, it, the island of Dr. Moreau was basically, it was based on, or Heart of Darkness was based on, uh, something that his great grandfather was a part of. Like he was like the hero of that story or huh. whatever. So he wanted to make his own island of Dr. Moreau and he came up with all these sketches and he had the script written and, and, uh, and, uh, but nobody knew who he was. He had done a movie called Hardware. Have you seen Hardware? Uh, I went like around the time it was released. It's been like since the early 90s. Yeah, Hardware Hardware was Richard Stanley's sort of like Terminator uh, uh, yeah. kind of movie. Oh, I remember and that movie. It's, did it's, you see it? I don't think I ever saw it, but I remember it coming it's out. It's Dylan McDermott, and I believe it all takes place, or the majority of it takes place like in an apartment. Yes, in this one woman's apartment. Yeah. And uh, Dylan McDermott comes home and has this, comes to her apartment and has this... Uh, like robot head that he found in, yeah, the, yeah, in yeah. the middle of the yeah. desert and then uh, of course the the robot had some sort of malfunctions of some sort uh, that was documented mm -hmm. and uh, where it's actually a pretty fun movie i can get to that uh, some <laughs> other time but uh but uh, but yeah so it was richard stanley and he didn't really have any clout he had done just a couple of movies and not what really well-known movies uh so a lot of people didn't know if he could really take on a movie of this scope but he got the job it looked like he had, he had done all the work that he needed to do. His script was good. His designs for the, the mutants were good, all that. And then he needed to get Marlon Brando. And so the studio got excited about getting Marlon Brando. And they're like, yeah, you, we're going to, they actually started looking for somebody else to direct the movie mm. uh, because they, there's no way this guy's going to get Marlon Brando. And they tell, he talks about the story about how he's like, he, he got, he had one chance to go get him. And he uh, he got him and some publicist in a car and drove up to his house, Mulholland Drive. And they, I guess they he obviously Brando knew they were coming. I can't remember how the initial contact happened, huh. but Stanley had one night to convince Brando to be in his movie. And he showed him, I guess, all the sketches and stuff and the, the script. Mm. And Brando was on board. And Brando wanted this guy to direct the movie. Mm. So he was on board. Richard Stanley was going to be the guy. Brando was going to be the Dr. Moreau. And it was going to be it was set in stone. So then they had to figure out where they're going to shoot. They find this island off of Australia to go shoot it. That's number one prob prob problematic. You're going way off and... <laughs> To, to shoot a movie where all sorts of different things can happen. Um, and then the casting for all the different characters they had at one time, the studio had Bruce Willis and James Woods in this movie with Brando. And obviously Brando, uh, I mean, obviously Willis and Woods wanted to work with Brando yeah. and that was a big selling point to them. Uh, but then uh, once it, once they were on board, they were like, we really need somebody like 
like we need a really big star for this because brando's not exactly selling tickets anymore mm-hmm. i'm not sure bruce willis was at that point he had done die hard and and die hard 2 and stuff but i'm not sure his name at that point was just maybe it was they willis was enough but woods wasn't maybe because what was 96 is when it came out right? it came out in 96 um and uh and so val kilmer had just done batman forever mm-hmm. And he was a huge star at this point. And they're like, well, let's get Val Kilmer. So they ended up get they trying to get Val Kilmer was doing some sort of public publicity for Batman Forever out in Australia or Japan or something. They met with him and he said he would do it as long as he didn't have to work very much. Oh, there you <laughs> basically, go. There you yeah. go. basically, they're like all these lines for this character. I don't want all these lines. (laughs) Give them to somebody else. So like certain characters in the movie actually got some of Val Kilmer's lines. Um, So he said, I don't want to do, I don't, I'll do it, but I don't want, and of course he wanted to work with Brando as well. Uh, Once Woods was out, I think, I can't remember what happens to Willis. Willis, I think maybe the production, I can't remember what happens to him. He eventually is off the, off the picture. And then they get Rob Morrow to be in there (laughs) rob morrow starts in on like whatever pre-production they have and then like a huge fucking rain like hurricane or something hits this island oh shit (laughs) and stanley i think at at this point it only maybe shot like a couple of things and uh and uh, the the crew in this movie in this lost soul the i don't think i've even gotten to the title of this documentary by the way The, the title of the documentary is called Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. And you can find this, I believe, on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, and it, and it's, and it, you know, it documents this whole thing that, this, that I read. I don't know if it's straight from the article or what, but it documents all this. It has all the interviews. Feruza Balk is in, is on the interviews. Um, Rob Morrow actually shows up. Uh, there's a quite a few big names mm-hmm. that are that are being interviewed about this movie, uh, but at some point, Rob the hurricane hits and Rob Morrow calls his agent and says, "Get me the fuck off this movie." <laughs> but the the crew on this movie in the in the in the documentary says, "Man, after a few after a few like moments with Stanley as director, we were like, I don't know if this guy can do this and." They started undermining him and they called uh, the studio and said, I don't think this guy's going to work out. Somehow they usurped him from the position and they, they got Stanley off the production. They ended up getting Frank, John Frankenheimer. John Frankenheimer is apparently this old school yells at everybody type director. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so somebody that they felt could rein in egos like Brando's and Kilmer's yeah. and so Morrow ends up off the picture and David Thewlis ends up his in his role. Um, and David Thewlis, I read some trivia on Island of Dr. Moreau that said that uh, he would love to tell his story about what happened on the set, but he feels like he would never work again. So <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so yeah, this production had to deal with uh, Brando being weird Brando in his, in his latter days, <laughs> yeah. uh, had to deal with Kilmer being like super dick Kilmer. This must've been peak. Cause that's this was, the peak of his this career. This was peak Kilmer. Yeah. yeah. This was peak like, uh, right off of Batman forever and heat. Both of those had come out and this, tombstone had come out tombstone. He was, he, he was at the height of his popularity and he was making all these demands. There's one moment where, 
uh, there's a guy who's cast in this smaller role and there's a scene with, I guess him and Brando and Kilmer are all in this one scene. And, uh, and, uh, Kilmer kept saying, why does this guy have to say this? Why does he get to, why does he have that line? I don't think he would do that. I don't think any of you know, all this type of stuff being mm-hmm. real difficult about. And so it ended up this guy like who had lines and maybe even new lines given to him because Kilmer didn't have any more lines, <laughs> uh, got a lot of his part gotten taken out because Kilmer was such a, was such an asshole nice. about all this stuff. So like they had to deal with that. They had to deal with Brando coming up with stuff on the spot, like putting the, like, uh the thing on his head where <laughs> is it, yeah, there was something about something? his head yeah they they it's well the dolphin thing yeah is part of <laughs> but the but he kept coming up with all these ideas and he had this pail on his head that they kept pouring ice down in because so, it's because he gets he was so hot it wasn't anything to do with the character it was just they they incorporated it into that and then by the end of it he was like oh yeah and it'll be wonderful because by the end of it we're gonna find out that you know he's he's part dolphin or whatever and of course the uh the was the mephisto character from south park is based on this dude <laughs> taking elephant dna just to wasn't there like, it wasn't there like a like one of the one of the creature not creatures but one of the people slash monsters wasn't there like a little guy or something that brando was yeah, obsessed they, with they they uh they hired this uh this little uh little person from I don't remember what country he's from. Was he but... the one that was in the Tim Burton Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Was it that? No, oh, it that, wasn't that, that was. Okay. Uh, no, I don't remember. Was that Deep Roy? May, yeah, that was Deep Roy. So yeah, it wasn't. Uh, Sorry. No, it wasn't. This guy was. This guy was from some other country, and he was a huge star, like a mega star in his hmm. own country. Oh, that's right. But that guy was an asshole too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. And uh, <laughs> and so there were always these just these things that kept coming up uh and um and you know stanley's uh when stanley got fired off of the picture he was like i'm not gonna let these assholes use anything that i've created for this so he like took all of his sketches and shredded them oh shit and everything feruza balk apparently at one point was like you're really kicking him off the movie and got really upset about it and hopped in a limo and went from wherever it was in australia and she said, just take me to Sydney, I think, or something like that. And she didn't sort of realize that Sydney was across the goddamn country. Oh, that's hilarious. But this guy took it. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they told her, they're like, you know, you're, you're under contract. You have to do this. You have to do the movie. And she ended up having to go back and, and do it. But she said her experience was really weird because she would be like, you know, like I, she's like, of course, I love Brando too. I wanted to talk to Brando, and and <laughs> yeah. I was in a scene with him, and I said, well, "What do you think? What is your character doing?" And he's all he said was, "He's like, this isn't this isn't an important this isn't important at all. This movie's not important. You don't have to worry about what I'm doing. Just do whatever you're doing. We do the work. We go home." Oh shit. Wow. Wasn't Frankenheimer a big dick to her too? Is that was that right? I haven't seen the documentary in a while. I think but. Frankenheimer was a dick to everybody. Yeah. I think the 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 point was he was such an old school di- old school guy. Took no shit from anybody. Um, uh, you know he was he was you know sort of hired yeah. to be that guy. There's a rumor or some I don't know if it was ever confirmed that there was one day they couldn't get anything filmed because Kilmer wouldn't go out of his his trailer. Mm-hmm. 
unless Brando came out of his trailer, and Brando wouldn't come out of his trailer unless Kilmer came out of his. <laughs> uh, there were. Did you say you've seen this? I've seen the documentary. I've seen the movie. I saw the movie in the theater in '96. I haven't watched it since. Yeah, I but, saw the movie and didn't yeah. remember anything about but I've seen, it. I didn't I've, either. I've seen the documentary and Fangoria. Like I read Fangoria in the late '90s. They were obviously on Team Stanley. So there was a lot of articles about this movie at the time. So I had read a lot of stuff about it when it was happening. Obviously, the uh, you know one of the takeaways in that article was that when Stanley got fired and he shredded all those things, he went off and got lost at some point on this island, or not maybe not lost, but at least went away to the point where nobody yeah. knew where he was. <laughs> yeah. And he sort of got into this stupor, <laughs> this like like druggy stupor of some sort, oh, and then then came back on set with a costume and yeah, ended yeah. up in the movie. Yeah, he's in the fucking movie. It's crazy. Uh, and nobody realized it? Or no, because he... he would never take off his costume. <laughs> and apparently it was ridiculously hot. Like like somebody somebody on the in the documentary goes, there was this one person who kept not taking off his mask. And I was like, everybody, after the shoot was done, would go over to the tables and they'd take their mask off. It was so hot. <laughs> This guy wouldn't, and I knew something was up. Man. I don't think he got all the way to the point that Richard Stanley came back. It's the thing. <laughs> uh, it's but insane. this is this is well worth watching uh, because yeah. if you're if you're if you love movies, you got to realize a lot of times some of the movies that you love are absolute miracles when they get made, and when you see something like a disaster like this, uh, you see how close some of these movies that work that are good. Yeah are close to something like this a lot of times because of egos and because of uh just different creative differences and that, the movie's terrible right the, uh, no. i mean i don't re I, yeah i i remember it being really hard to even watch yeah and i but i don't remember i'm never i'm probably never gonna watch it again unless we send it or something yeah i don't <laughs> oh my god god that'll be the that'll be one of the last ones we do <laughs> shut the door yeah, exactly. the lights. all right guys cinema sense is going out with a bang and i don't even know like I mean, you watch the documentary and you feel bad for Stanley, but I don't know that that was the best idea to hire him for that movie. But I think the Brando and Kilmer hiring was the worst idea. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, really, who knows? Yeah. Honestly, I mean, if I mean, if if he's Stanley, it could be just people weren't used to his style, whatever yeah. it was, yeah. and they were like, I don't know about this guy, and they undermine him. I mean, of course, you're going to get different sides of that yeah. story in this too, but um but richard stanley when you hear him he sounds like he's really got it together like he really knows his film history oh he's, my god yes he's he, a huge he's another cinephile that i ran across during these documentaries he knows everything because he movies. goes into so much detail about the other adaptations mm -hmm. of the novel like the richard burton one and then the the one i guess from the 1930s island of lost souls yeah and he gets into that and he gets into the book and he talks about all this like mysticism and i mean yeah he's really into it and film theory and you know um but i don't know but he just never done a hollywood film before he had never done a big studio film mm -hmm. and that does that does mess with some people I, I i mean i think probably the issue is is that they hired this guy who had never done a major movie and they put him in fucking australia on some island with brando with brando <laughs> and and you know that's the that's the if they had just found some area in like oregon or something <laughs> you know yeah. you know 
And they could have found something like that. <laughs> Go to Boca. I wonder yeah. if like I wonder if Rob Morrow like celebrates like every year the day he got you know he got to leave that set. He's probably like, whoa, that, yeah. was, that was a close one. That was uh, David Thule before Quiz Show or after Quiz Show. It was ninety six. It was, it was after, after. Yeah, after. it was after Northern Exposure and all that. stuff. After Northern Exposure, yeah. or was well, it during? It was after uh, Northern Exposure it was, was after... early nineties, late eighties. Yeah. yeah, Northern Exposure had what four or five seasons. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, I did too. That show was awesome. That was uh, one of those. What's I... her name? Uh, what's her name? I know she was in Leave about. It to Beaver. Cliffhanger. She was in Cliffhanger too. Yeah, oh, I loved her so yes, much. Me too. That's one of my Nora all-timers. Turner or something. Something like that? Turner. Some Janine Turner. Janine Turner. Woohoo! That's her name. Very nice. The right. Exposure was one of those. That was one of the first ones I remember where fans wrote in. Yep. I believe, and it got an extra season because of that. It's kind of like Star Trek. Yeah, Star did, Trek did, like that seemed to happen with CBS a lot. Like yeah. Picket Fences, didn't that have? Like, uh, a, it yeah. might have. It might have. That was a good show. Tom yeah. Skerritt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's like you're shouting out like a rapper. <laughs> Tom Skerritt. Anyway, even though I it took me forever to say the name of this documentary, it's called Lost Soul: The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Moreau. Well high recommend yeah, watch it's this it's awesome so. i gotta check it out what you uh, got? oh uh i guess i'll do another i kind of want to do the record warrant over the recommend because it's more fun to talk about but um i watched um okay so you guys still have cable yes yeah um so i don't know if you guys have noticed this but like they so we used to have like encore stars they had all these extra channels they were like retroplex and indieplex mm-hmm. and they got rid of those and they've replaced them, or Xfinity has replaced them, with these four channels. I think they're called Screen Picks. Have you guys yes. watched these at all? Mm-hmm. And they are basically, like, the majority of their programming is, like, 80s and 90s. So it feels like you're a kid again, like, with these cable lineups. Like, you'll look on there at 9, and it'll, it'll be, like, it'll be like uh, I don't know, it'll be, like, Smokey and the Bandit Part 2, and then Friday the 13th Part 4. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and then, like, you know, Firewalker with Chuck Norris or right. something like that. It's like these crazy cable lineups. And there was the, there's a uh, Agatha Christie adaptation that has never been released on DVD or Blu-ray, at least stateside it never has. Um, and it's, uh, it's a Hercule Poirot movie. It's called Appointment with Death, and it came out in 1988. And they showed it on this channel. And to the best of my knowledge, that's one of the few I had never seen. So... I watched it about a week or so ago, and um, it's uh, Golden Globus, Canon. They were buying up all these IPs at the time. I guess they bought up the Christie IP. I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I didn't really look into it, but they produced this movie, and holy fuck, it feels like an Agatha Christie movie made by Golden Globus. Like, it's it's crazy. And um, they, they got... Who, who are you talking about? Golden Globus? Golden Globus. They're the guys behind Canon, right? Is that, am I saying that right? Canon Films. I actually don't know what right. that other term that you just said Oh, it's is. just the people behind it. So it's a production company? Gold and... No, Golan. Golan and... Glob- they were like the foreign guys that headed up Canon Films. Like, Canon Films did all those, like, American... Like, they did all those Michael Dudkoff movies, the late Chuck Norris movies. They did, like, Death Wish sequels. Oh, okay. Did a bunch of Charles Brosnan movies, like, in the 80s and early 90s. So they were just doing all this exploitation film. There's actually a great documentary about Canon Films, and I cannot remember the name of it. But if you if you just Google Canon Films documentary, it'll it'll come up. But anyways, they so so they were buying up a lot of stuff at that time. Like they did the Masters of the Universe movie around this time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Which basically that and uh, over the top essentially uh, bankrupted them. The uh, Sly Stallone yeah, arm yeah, wrestling. Yep. Um, and so this was just one of those that they that they dumped into theaters. It made like a couple hundred thousand dollars, and nobody heard about it again. One cool thing about it though was Peter Ustinov 
was who took over the role of Hercule Poirot after uh, after Sidney Lumet made Murder on the Orient Express. Mm. Um, Albert Finney played him in that one, and then when they made Death on the Nile uh, next, like in 78, they cast Peter Ustinov. And then they did Death on the Nile. They did Evil Under the Sun. He did a couple of TV movies as Hercule Poirot. Oh, so that's the one that I would probably yeah, know. Yeah, probably, okay. yeah. And then he came back for this one. Um, and um, and I just, I don't know. I prefer, like, I know there's a lot of people that love David Suchet as Poirot. I, but he, that was the TV series. And um, I like my Agatha Christie. Like, I just like the lavish, big screen adaptations more i like like the big casts and the you know the the big the scenery and all that kind of stuff that's just what i prefer so yusinov has always kind of been my favorite mm -hmm. but i've just never seen this movie because it hasn't been readily available and i kind of hate even talking about it because unless you have cable and have those channels i don't even know how you could see it right now <laughs> but there might be a way i don't know but it's called appointment with death it's based on an agatha christie novel it's based on a hercule poirot story and they brought peter yusinov back who apparently did not like this movie at all and i can i can see why uh, but they do get the big cast. They have like Carrie Fisher's in this, and um, Lauren Bacall's in it. John Gilgood, Piper Laurie plays the person who gets Whoa, killed. Really? Yeah, Haley Mills, uh, David Soul. Haley Mills of the Parent Trap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> David Soul from Starsky and Hutch, uh, the, the original Starsky and Hutch. There's, there's a so it's a bunch of people like that. They're at the Dead Sea is the location, which actually isn't the location in the book, but that's where they decided to film it for this. There's like a big excavation going on. There's a woman played by Piper Laurie who um, uh, her husband has died, left her all of his money because she she changed. She basically changed the will on her own and and blackmailed the lawyer. So she's got all the money and she decides to take all her kids who are pissed off that she got all the money on this trip. And then so, of course, she gets killed. Mm. And right. um, and then and then randomly, everybody else there knows this woman, too, somehow. So you basically have like 15 suspects or whatever. And then Hercule Poirot just happens to be there and uh, he solves the case. It's it's a record warrant because it's nowhere near as good as like Death on the Nile and Evil Under the Sun, which might be my two favorite Christie. They're two of my favorite Christie adaptations. Um, I actually just recently rewatched those two because I bought a. Um, I actually we, they haven't released those Blu-ray stateside, but I got um for Christmas, a region free uh, Blu-ray player, mm -hmm. and my first purchase was a box set of Agatha Christie films. Yeah, <laughs> so right. I got Murder on the Orient Express, I got Death on the Nile, I got Evil Under the Sun, and I got The Mirror Cracked, where Angela Lansbury plays Miss Marple. Um. Mm. But so it, you you definitely jerked off to that one. I did, man. It was mm -hmm. it was like, man, this is you like I that. Mean, that's like nineteen eighty. That, that's like, nineteen eighty. Jessica Fletcher, yeah, man. You like that girl in uh, Toxic Avenger? Yeah, actually, she would. She watched it with me. She was sitting by me watching it. It was mm -hmm. weird. I was yeah. like, weren't you in Toxic Avenger? Why are you in my house? Yeah. Why are you always masturbating? <laughs> but uh, but no, I just thought it'd be fun because it was just really cool to finally get to see this adaptation I had never seen because, like I said, it just wasn't available. And then just randomly I turn on the TV and it's like, oh, fuck, Appointment with Death is coming on. I better record that. So, yeah, yeah, I finally I looked up the uh, canon films yeah. and everything. Um, uh, so it started the, the studio started with Dennis Friedland and Christopher C. Dewey. And then the names that I'm not going to be able to pronounce. I think you had Golan and Globus, right, yeah, by yeah, the yeah. way. But like Menahem Golan yes. and Yoram Globus yeah. were the heads of the studio for the period of time that you're yes. talking about. And then it's it went through another period until 94 when the name Canon uh, went yeah. under 
they were responsible for stuff like Rambo and yes. stuff like that in the early days and uh, Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, that was one of their biggest. Oh, seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did that? If you could, I can't, I can't. Did you see a documentary by any chance? I gotta look that up. Yeah, that, it yeah. came up first. I uh, did not uh, look at it though, but yeah, the documentary came up. But yeah, they did Masters of the Universe and uh, <laughs> uh, stuff like they're, that. They're fascinating people. Like they were, they were like foreigners. They, they like they really wanted to be in Hollywood, and they just they just had a ton of money but didn't know how to spend it well and i think they did a lot of cocaine and, and uh, uh yeah because it was the <laughs> yeah, 80s yeah uh the the documentary is called electric boogaloo yes. the wild untold story of canon films which now i'm gonna have to watch yeah because, that is a high high recommend because i'm in the middle yeah. of, of watching all of these type of movies right now you're, so. gonna, you're gonna wanna watch every fucking movie they talk about too oh, I'm that's sure. what happened to me so i end up like watching this entire like when I, that, this has been years ago since i've seen that but i remember i just went on this michael dudkoff kick and just watched all these like american ninja movies Uh, but i feel like i really talked about a point with death but if you're an agatha christie lover completist you can find this i i think it's definitely worth watching it was just like i said it was really exciting for me because i feel like in today's age it's really weird when you can't find a movie yeah it's true Mm -hmm. uh this is so so it was just it was one of those this is one of those times where i'm like i'm so glad i have cable because i never would have seen this but uh, i'm but i'm not really promoting cable but i'm just saying that uh, I really love these channels, Save though, Comcast. man. I'm telling you, though, it's just these are great channels. If you if you just have nothing, you don't know what you want to watch, just go to one of these, oh, and God, it'll give you a. <laughs> can't she can't she can't be allowed out? She can't be it'll allowed you, out. She's um... peeking. <laughs> What's really funny is, although she's being very good, we do actually have a little girl in the house today, which is really funny. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> that would be my. But daughter. not in my closet. No, not your closet. No, she's downstairs. I mean, <laughs> not in my closet when... uh you know what movie ain't so bad what's ain't so bad intolerable cruelty okay yeah i haven't seen it since it came out i haven't either i had neither you so, know when this you know when this came out the same day as kill bill 2003 yeah wow. september two, 2003 somewhere around there i think i saw them both that day october I think it's okay. October. October, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kill Bill came out. I do same. remember that. Kill, Kill Bill Volume like, 1, Because I, I was like, Tarantino and Coen Brothers? Fuck yeah. I yeah. saw both of them in the theater. Actually, it might be Kill Bill Volume 2 that came out with Intolerable Cruelty. Because uh, it was two. No, that was 2003. So it was first Kill Bill mm. came out. Because they the Coen Brothers also made Lady Killers. Like it, the Lady Killers came out like not very long after mm-hmm. this. So it yeah. might have may even been the same year. But anyway, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't like this movie so much after mm-hmm. it came out. I couldn't say it's so different from everything that the Coen brothers had done before then, because they've done broad farces. They've done over the top stuff like raising Arizona. Uh, they've done goofy shit like, Oh brother, brother, where art thou? Although, Oh brother, where art thou? I think had some more heft to mm-hmm. it. Uh, this is like than- screwball comedy there. It's like, Cary Grant, Arslan Russell, kind of. It's very screwball comedy. His Girl Friday. Uh, and it's about Catherine Zeta-Jones being a serial divorcee uh, that marries men for their money. She's a gold digger. Uh, and and she tacitly is almost open about this. Like, you know, she's, oh, well, I, I'm sorry that things didn't work out and all that. But, you know, everybody knows her game, except for the the poor bastards that she ends up marrying, one of which is Edward Herman's character, uh, who's who's a very eccentric dude and a billionaire. So, uh, yeah, I saw it once, and I was like, eh, no. And we've always ranked it towards the bottom, if not the very bottom of the Coen Brothers uh, catalog, because they've, they're have they so excellent. The, the, the tops are so excellent. 
Uh, but I recently rewatched this again, and it's delightful. Hmm. It's actually, if you go into it thinking, you know what, there's not a whole lot of meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not intended to reinvent the wheel. It's not intended to be uh, no country for old men or anything like that. It's intended to be a very much screwball comedy, yeah. Cary Grant, uh, Audrey Hepburn type yeah, of yeah. thing. And you watch it with those eyes, it is fun. It's fun as hell. Uh, George Clooney plays a divorce attorney who has created an ironclad prenup. Uh, it's the Massey prenup. And uh, no one can ever break it. And he's lauded as being the best divorce attorney ever. And so he runs up against this Catherine Zeta-Jones character. And they have some mishaps. And he thinks he's figured her out and everything. And eventually, they end up falling in love with each other. Uh, or he thinks that they do. And goes on from there. And has, actually has a nice, satisfying ending. And I quite enjoyed it. It's they, kinda, they have good chemistry, though. See, that's something I remember about. Not, I thought I didn't remember them having very good chemistry. Here's the thing about that. I think they do. They have better chemistry when they're together mm-hmm. than when they're like trying to butt heads. Uh, the other thing is that Clooney gives a performance here that's very reminiscent of his Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is totally over the top, yeah. totally not really even based in reality. He's got the big crazy eyes looking back and forth and everything. Uh, and, and he's... He's playing a very exaggerated character. And so when he really meets up against anybody in this movie, it, it's an awkward chemistry because he's going for something. Gotcha. Hmm. So it is fun. I would recommend watching it again uh, because you see these these uh, characters, really Clooney at his peak, sexiest man alive type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones looking fantastic. Richard Jenkins is in, in this. Uh, Cedric the Entertainer is in this. Uh, Billy Bob. Oh, this was uh, the uh, in this, this uh, was the Cedric the Entertainer like three year period where he was in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> well, he's on one of those sitcoms now too. Yeah, he isn't is. He? I haven't seen him, but yeah, he is like neighborhood. Or yeah. something. There was one thing I remember being distinctly Cohen in Intolerable Cruelty, and it's a dream sequence where he's thinking back to like a, a, a like an older gentleman of some sort and he's it's going through a stock ticker of some sort. i can't remember what it is is it, he's in an office and he's going through all the rules i remember seeing and that yeah, yeah i think that's i think that I, that's the only thing i remember about it being distinctly cohen <laughs> and i don't remember anything else about the movie even it's I, yeah no the, the thing that i remembered about it was when uh so eventually they get married without a prenup and she somehow shatters this shell of this divorce attorney always having a prenup and so George Clooney and Catherine Zeta-Jones get married, and she immediately files for divorce. And so he gets pissed off because it's it's a weird, complicated thing. Anyway, he hires a guy named Wheezy Joe. <laughs> to, <laughs> that sounds to, Cohen Brothers. To kill her. Uh, and once she's dead, he gets all the money because they're technically still married. And so Wheezy Joe is Wheezy, and he always sucks on an inhaler. Yeah. When they get to the house to uh, – there's, there's a misunderstanding. When they get to the house to try to stop him – he inst- he's he's there to kill her. Yeah. Instead of sucking on his inhaler, he fires his gun into his oh, mouth. Oh, I think I remember that. That's very Cohen-y, too. This and Lady Killers might be the only two of theirs I've only seen once. I, I can't because I I don't think I've I don't think I've rewatched Lady Killers either, which I don't remember disliking. I just don't think I've rewatched it. I remember a lot of people didn't like that. movie. I didn't like it at first either, and that's another one I've come around on too. Yeah, I need to I need to rewatch. Both so yeah, of those. this isn't nearly as bad as a lot of you think it is. Uh, it's very enjoyable. Just don't expect anything like substantial. Well, it's, I mean, it's like it's like lesser Spielberg or Scorsese mm-hmm. or I mean any of these great directors. I mean you know even their lesser ones have something to grasp onto usually. 
I agree. Did they do No Country for Old Men after those two, though? Was that their next mm-hmm. movie? Yep. God, that's crazy. <laughs> it is kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, so in the uh, trilogy of documentaries <laughs> of, of about uh, making movies and everything, Jodorowsky's Dune yeah. is something that had come out uh, a few years ago, and I, I planned on seeing and just did, never got a chance to see it, and then years went by, and I was like, all right. Now that I'm in the middle of watching stuff about Dr. Moreau and all this, I'm going to watch Jodorowsky's Dune, which, by the way, Richard Stanley shows up in. Oh, wow. In this thing, because his, his, Jodorowsky's uh, journey into making Dune didn't quite uh, get to Stanley's level because he didn't ever actually get to make his movie or even get close to making his movie. Maybe as well as the document, a lot of the people in the documentary say as close to making the movie as you can without actually getting cameras out and shooting. Because this but, movie would have cost like $200 million. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Rowski, uh Alejandro Jodorowsky had made uh, movies. Uh, the It was, uh, was it the, the Holy Mountain mm-hmm. and El Topo, which I think is an inspiration for Kung Fu that came out later on. Hmm. Um, uh, so he had made a couple of movies. I'm not sure how big they were. I don't. I mean, they're they're big cult films now. I sat. That's that's a that's a. I've never watched any of his films. That's a that's somebody I need to yeah, get to eventually. I, and after watching this, I was like, oh, I, I definitely want to at least yeah. watch a couple of the ones that he's known for. But uh, as he got done with uh, with that, he wanted to go on and try to make. I can't remember how he ended up on Dune. He's an unusual cat, this t- uh, Jodorowsky yeah. guy, uh, or Hodorowsky. I don't remember if they pronounce the J or not. But Hodor. Yes, Hodor. Uh, but um, uh, he's not a cat. And I don't know if if he was just reading a bunch of books and and this one came along. And I, I can't remember that. They do tell us why he picks Dune, of all, mm. of all the things. Uh but he's he's like got these ideas. He wants to make this, you know, a certain way. He had already made a couple of unusual films and he wanted to have the best people to like do these, uh, do his artwork, his uh, his creature creations, uh, all this and the music and everything. And uh, so he started off early. He wanted to he wanted this really in demand. Uh, uh, he wanted this in demand illustrator, animator guy to help him out and he says we went to the meeting and this guy was all about himself man i was just like i didn't get the right energy off of this guy and so i i i got I, we we got up from that meeting i walked across the street we watched we and uh, me and my uh, assistant were watching a movie and it was dark star we watched dark star <laughs> and uh and uh i was like that is what i want for my movie i want whoever designed the stuff for this to do to do the thing for my movie so he gets hr giger before alien wow. yeah uh on board with this movie to do his uh creature creations and stuff like that and he gets another animator guy he gets a bunch of people who i feel like do a lot of the same things mm-hmm. but whatever he wanted to make the best dune he could the craziest dune he wanted probably He's a, one of the things that people keep saying is like this movie yeah had it been made at the time would have been the most expensive film ever yeah. made and what what year was this? Uh, it was what era? Late seventies, wasn't it? Early seventies. It was before oh, Star 70s. Wars. Oh, oh so right. two hundred million in this era. I mean, it, yeah, is it, ridiculous. It wouldn't. Have, I don't know if it would have been that much, but it would have been. It would really have been expensive. like the equivalent of a two hundred. Kind of like that first Ghostbusters draft where Dan Aykroyd had them going to like different worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So and he goes through, he was like, okay, I want this kind of music. He ends up contacting Pink Floyd. Oh, wow. And then Pink Floyd ends up being like, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> so he's got a whole bunch of like these, he's got a whole bunch of talent surrounding him. And now it's like time to cast it and everything. But anyway, what is being described on this? And uh, I think uh, Nicholas Winding reference has seen the, uh, seen the, the, whole way out that the, i mean apparently mm -hmm. he's gone in and seen this like book that jodorowsky has you could mm -hmm. flip through it and basically quote unquote see yeah. the movie um but like uh it goes through all this all this stuff like like how he got all these people and and all of these people would end up being huge on in-demand uh stars in their fields hr giger uh, and and people like that um but like uh one of the things that it talks about is how it got to the point of pitching this to a studio and this is where the cost gets into it and everything uh nobody wanted it no matter like even with all these people mm -hmm. on board nobody wanted to do it it would have cost too much and dune was not something that people thought they could make tons of money on mm -hmm. and everything uh this richard stanley shows up in the middle of this and he he comes up with an analogy that i think is one of the funniest off-kilter things i've ever i've ever heard before richard stanley's got this this way of talking and he's just very very <laughs> yeah. very very fast and he, he he wants to he makes a whole bunch of intelligent points all all at once but you can't he's big kind of jumbles it together mm -hmm. in all these like like you can tell his brain is just firing on all these like thought 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 i've got to get that out of my head and he doesn't he doesn't stutter or anything mm. he's just like i like it but he's like you have to understand that when uh, people are going into uh, into a studio the studios want st stuff that they are they've already heard of before so like you know if you want to make a movie you got to say something like it's part ghostbusters and it's part star wars and then he goes or it's part the hobbit and part the killing vehicles <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know if he said that because he was trying to, to make that. he's trying to make a joke or or what but he says it's so deadpan and it comes and it, it comes out of his it's almost like he just kind of just just verbal yeah. diarrhea <laughs> hobbit and killing fields out um but but that's what he ran into none of the studios wanted it but you look at all the the stuff that people draw and all the stuff that people were doing it would have been if they had made this this would have been an a like an unbelievable achievement yeah. if he had been able to actually make it and execute it but he actually had made so many changes to frank herbert's original novel that frank herbert wasn't exactly excited about it mm. and he was like you gotta understand once it's in the filmmaker's hands that book doesn't mean anything jodorowsky's like that that book doesn't mean anything i'm making whatever i want <laughs> have you read dune i have it was a long time it was in college i've never read it i've got it i'm gonna try to read it before uh the the film comes out this year and uh he said something to the effect that uh he got really pissed off when david lynch got to make it and uh and so he he's like um he's like all right well i'll go watch this david lynch the other guy, i'm so pissed off that he got to make this movie and everything and then he he said as i watched 10 minutes of this movie and i w i was instantly happy I was like, because this movie's terrible. <laughs> and, uh, that's Meredith. That's my wife's least favorite movie of all time. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. I don't know that I've seen it all the way through. I probably watched it as a kid and just don't remember. But like, I, I I've tried to watch it as an adult, just going through you know Cronenberg. I mean Lynch, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just I can't get through it. Yeah, uh, I uh, have mentioned this before on the podcast. I was seven years old and what tried to watch this movie with oh, my man. family and and uh, the the fat man that's in it that says "Let me spit on your face" <laughs> scared the fuck out of me. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's seven. Yeah. Scared the fuck out of me. Uh, Scare me now. Uh, but you know, Dune is just like uh, I mean that movie is just like anything that fails spectacularly. You have David Lynch at the helm and you have Dune, which so many rabid followers yeah. of that book that that movie has become a cult hit over the years. People actually like Dune, even though yeah. it's a piece of shit. But um, but yeah, uh, this is another one of those just uh, really fun documentaries to watch because what could have been and why it didn't become uh, a thing. And Joe Dorowski is, uh, is an unusual cat, man. He's, I mean, I think he even got uh salvador dolly on this hmm. that's not, it's been a while since i watched the documentary but that sounds right um but uh uh yeah he got a bunch of people on this to to help him out and uh and yeah it would have been spectacular to see who knows it, the thing that they talk about is that so many of the things about this production were known that things that were in the storyboards yeah. and everything ended up in other movies for instance in raiders of the lost ark the whole uh, ending of that where mm-hmm. the, the spirit comes through yeah. and kills all the soldiers, that was in the Dune storyboards. Hmm. Uh, there were a lot of other things. There were a lot of obviously just people in, in general involved. And certain things about that Dune have shown up in other movies yeah. since then. Huh. So it's it's got this weird influence over movies <laughs> that came out afterward, and it never got made. Wow. So, and uh, one of the producers on that documentary is Steven Scarlatta, and he's one of the co-hosts of the Best Movies Never Made podcast, which I know I've talked about on Behind the Sins, maybe on here. I think I talked about it when we were doing the Sonic review. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that podcast got made. They decided they wanted to do that podcast because of that documentary, because they were like, there were so many movies out there that were you know just never made. Yeah, and uh, and so they, him and Josh Miller, who re- co-wrote Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, they now have a podcast called Best Movies Never Made. All, all three of those documentaries I've mentioned are high recommends. Oh, yeah. Uh, Love Antosha, Lost Soul, Story of Island to Dr. Moreau, and uh, J- Jodorowsky's Dune are all worthwhile. And now I've got to watch this canon film. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think those are just fascinating stories. They're often more fascinating than the movies An- themselves. Another one you will find super fascinating is, even though you don't care about the movies, but Crystal Lake Memories, mm-hmm. where they go over the entire Friday the 13th franchise. It is just so interesting i think i have that because yeah. it's on that it's in the, it's in that set with the okay. friday the yeah 13th. it probably oh, is yeah. and uh, uh and never sleep again is the same people made both of these never sleep again is the nightmare on elm street franchise and even if you don't like those movies it's just seeing like the rise and fall of a franchise mm-hmm. is just so interesting it's just like it's crazy it's interesting as many movies as i've seen you know i, I don't think i've seen nearly as many as jonathan has by the way uh but i have think i've only seen three or four friday the 13th movies out of the 13 of them or whatever that that got made and i i kind of want to just watch them just to just to have them under my belt (laughs) you know yeah it's it i mean that that became like i've had like i used to watch those all the time when i was younger at least the paramount ones and then as i got older of course i got a little more bougie with my film watching like in college and stuff and it's like i don't have fucking time for friday the 13th Mm -hmm. and then now that i'm older and don't give a shit i i just i don't love them or anything but like i just i that that fan base and that franchise is just so interesting to me mm-hmm. like there's just so many things about it and just 
watching it from the beginning to the end is pretty interesting. I would not do it all like in a couple of days. No, like, I, I'd give yourself like a few weeks. I will, I'll probably try to do something around Halloween, but like yeah. uh, the only horror franchise I've seen every movie in that's gone over like four or five or whatever is Halloween. I think I've seen oh, okay. all the Halloweens, but I haven't seen, seen all the saws. Haven't you? Uh, except for jigsaw. Oh, that's, I saw I saw all the saws before that though. Jigsaw's a record worn. Jigsaw like Jigsaw is kind of interesting. Like I've never seen a movie with so much fucking plot. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that movie is like literally like plot. Like you could see like a Mr. Show sketch called Plot the Movie, and they would just show Jigsaw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it's like it it it. They're trying so hard to like tie in everything that's come before it and create something new, and it oh it's insane. Mm-hmm. Not good, but it record worn in the sense that it's just. If you're a film lover, it's just an insane thing to watch. The craziest thing that I heard recently, because I went and saw, um, what movie was it that I saw with a bunch of friends that don't typically go out and watch the Thursday nights, but um, uh, uh, Dan, who is the guy who hates Amy Adams so much, <laughs> um, uh, was talking about, because uh, we because whatever we were watching had the trailer for that new Saw movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, spiral spiral the book of saw yeah and uh <laughs> and so like it started coming on and uh and uh and he goes oh oh my god i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to call my call cal on this and whatever and i was like what do you i was like i would never put dan on somebody who would be who watches the saw movies <laughs> and uh, he goes he goes no did i ever tell you about that and i was like no He's like, every year that a new Saw came out, me and Cal would go and watch it on opening wow. night. Oh, I can't. Wow. All right. Oh, I thought you were about to say they rewatched all the other ones. I can't no, imagine no. just like rewatching those. Um, uh, I, I am curious about that, though. I mean, you just put Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson in a Saw movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to check that out. Like, I, it's probably going to be terrible, but I, I'm, I'm definitely there for oh, that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm all about it. <laughs> This is a full-on recommendation. So um, the the Criterion Channel, which is a really fun streaming service if you're a film lover, I highly recommend it. Um, it does this thing where they, uh, they'll they package a lot of movies together uh, into different, like, segments that they'll drop each day. And so, like, they'll do, like, directors, and, you know, you'll get, like, a Jean-Pierre Melville. You get all his films in, like, one thing. Or they'll do actors. One thing they did recently at the beginning of March was they did the soundtracks of Quincy Jones, uh, movies that he scored. So I've started going through those, and one of the movies I watched was called The Slender Thread. Um, it's from 1965. It's Sidney Pollack's uh, directorial debut, huh. who did uh, Tootsie and uh, Chris's favorite movie, Out of Africa. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and uh, But uh, it's his directorial debut, and um, it stars Sidney Poitier and... Uh, and Bancroft. That's mm. that's a graduate, right? I said that mm-hmm. right. Okay. Yeah. And so Sidney Poitier plays a uh, he's a college student who volunteers at the crisis hotline center. And he gets a, at the beginning of the movie. He goes in for his shift. He gets a call from Anne Bancroft. She's taken a bunch of pills and she's probably going to die soon. And she just wants to talk to somebody. And so that's the that's the structure of the movie. Like so most of it takes place mostly Sidney Poitier because she's just a voice on the phone. Then you get to see, like, it goes back when Anne Bancroft's telling her story. You go back and you see what's kind of led her up to this. She's in a she's in a marriage with, um, oh, I just forgot his name. He used to be on Law and Order. Probably another Sydney. 
<laughs> you got to be a Sydney to work around it's, here. Uh, Stephen Hill, he played like the old cranky DA on Law and Order for the longest fucking time. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So oh, he he was like her husband, and there something happens at the beginning. I guess I won't give that away. Um, but something happens at the beginning, which kind of leads her down this path. So you get to see some of that stuff in the flashbacks. But most of it is just Sydney Poitier at the crisis center. Some other people come in. Telly, this is kind of the funniest thing about it. Telly Savalas plays a doctor but i guess because it was telly savalas i just assumed he was a cop for like two-thirds of the yeah, movie yeah because they never really say what he is and at the end they call him doctor something it's like oh he was a doctor because <laughs> he calls the cops and i'm like why is he calling the cops he, it's telly it's kojak uh but yeah but city poitier is um this is just a really nice little uh it's a drama more than a thriller although it does kind of have some of those elements but um, it's a really cool character piece. It's a really good acting piece for Poitier. And Poitier is one of the best actors ever, in my opinion. Yeah. And he's so good in this movie. So I was really glad to get to see it. Um, I And I believe it's unlike the appointment with death. I believe this is available to rent and everything. But uh, it is on the Criterion channel if you subscribe to that. Um, if you have if you have money left over after you do your movie subscription, <laughs> uh, you should you should check out the Criterion channel for more stuff. But um. Yeah, no, it's just, it's a really cool movie. And like, it's, you know, it's really quick. It's about 90 minutes. And um, it's what, just. What's you, it called again? It's called The Slender Thread. And this was scored by Quincy Jones? Yes. Could you tell? Like, uh, is it a prominent feature of the movie? Not not this one. Some of the other ones I could, like the uh, the, the original Italian job, for instance, he scored that. You can, oh, seriously? Yeah. And you can, and I didn't know that the first, because this was like the second or third time I've seen it, but I did not know that until I watched it. And then I was like, oh, I can hear this totally, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, in the Heat of the Night, he did he did all. He did, I knew that one. He did yeah, they, yeah. Call Mr. Tib- they Call Me Mr. Tibbs is on there. McKenna's Gold, which is a movie I've never seen. There's one or two I hadn't even heard of. I'm, I can't. But uh, oh, uh, in cold, uh, in cold blood, which I didn't know he scored. Really? Yeah. So I'm gonna rewatch that. But uh, this was just this was one I had never seen before and uh, really really enjoyed it. So nice. Check it out. Uh, so that's an important and and, and nice movie and and a recommend and everything. And yes. I'm going to talk about <laughs> Neighbors Two, Sorority <laughs> Rising. Oh my God! I've, this, ne- I've never seen this. this. I've seen the first one. This movie's a I've fucking wreck, man. I've seen it. Uh. I liked the first neighbors. I did too. In fact, I really liked the first neighbors. I think I liked it. I remember it had funny moments. It's uh, Zac Efron, yeah, yeah, and Dave Franco versus Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. I remember Rose Byrne being really funny. Right? Rose Byrne yeah, is yeah, great yeah, yeah. because she's not a stock, uh, shrill girlfriend slash wife in this she's every bit as raunchy well, and as engaging as seth rogan and rose, rose burns i mean she's just fucking awesome she's I, I, awesome I, I don't think people realize how awesome she is everything she's in she just kills it. she's mm-hmm. awesome and she's yeah. hilarious yeah uh and uh so i was uh, you know it was late at night i was like i'm gonna give this a shot <laughs> because this cast is fucking ridiculous man you got beanie feldstein you got chloe grace mar mar moretz mm-hmm Moretz. Oh, because right. it's women this time, right? It's, it's like a, a sorority. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Okay. you got Aquafina. You've got uh, oh, Abby funny. Jacobson. You got uh, uh, Kelsey Grammer shows up as one of the the, the <laughs> like the, uh, uh, Gerard uh, Gerard Carmichael is in this. Hannibal Burris is in this. Like this cast is hilarious. Ike Baron's uh, uh, Ike Baron Holtz. Mm-hmm. That's the guy's name. Uh, he plays like one of the buddies, and it's just stupid. It's stupid because it repeats like almost beat for beat the same beats as the first one. Mm-hmm. It pile drives you in the face with these people are old jokes. 
Like the, the yeah. sorority is like, oh, it's the old people next door. They're so fucking yeah. old. I, the only thing I remember about this is in the trailer, there was a scene where Chloe Grace Moretz is running with a, a phone, a, a rotary, or not a rotary phone, but a phone mm-hmm. attached to the mm-hmm. wall. And that doesn't that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she gets uh, yeah, the and cord everything. gets yeah, her. She's yeah. like old people phones. And and uh, Beanie Feldstein runs into a fucking like a moving car and she's like, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. This movie is fucking <laughs> ridiculous. Now, there were some times that I laughed. Mm-hmm. There were some times that I laughed out loud, and I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. But then there's, like, jokes that they fucking beat into the ground. Do you remember the first movie, they use, a, uh, like, an airbag as a, as a, a joke, mm-hmm. right, to, like, fire him off of his office chair. And it's funny. It's funny because it's unexpected, and it's funny because they do that quick, like, sped-up camera work and shit like that. Uh, and in this one, they run that shit into the ground like it's a plot device they're mm-hmm. like oh i know airbags and they use it to get out of a fucking garage situation mm-hmm. tell me i'm not crazy this movie is a pile of hot garbage yeah i mean i haven't seen it since it came out on blu-ray i didn't see it in the theater mm. uh but i got it and because almost every comedy that i end up getting gets watched eventually uh, I watched that one, and I just remember it being just not very funny at did all. Did we send no. Neighbors when that came out? Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't no. think we did. I didn't remember that. That'd be an interesting movie to send. Definitely <laughs> uh, hard kinda, to determine whether it would have a high count or not. I yeah. will say, I, do, I, I really don't like that quick, that, that that type of shot, though, in comedy. The worst, the worst is, and I've never seen the movie, but I remember it in the trailer, the Paul Blart sequel, mm-hmm. where he gets kicked by the horse. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. And then there's even in that... Um, yeah, the, in the Lovebirds The Lovebirds, yeah, yeah. he yeah. gets kicked by a horse. I, I, I really, I don't know why. That that kind of shot bugs me. Because, it, A, it's not realistic. I know it's a movie, but it's insanely unrealistic. It just doesn't look like, no, yeah. It, 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 like, you'd be dead. <laughs> and i don't or, know and i just yes yeah, severely guess, injured to yeah. the point of not being able to do anything and i guess i just don't find that funny <laughs> yeah no this is a this is a hard uh warn just just run away even if it's on just by accident mm. did neighbors i guess <laughs> it's like oh no neighbors too throw the remote i guess neighbors was a pretty big hit i don't even remember yeah I, it was I, yeah. it was no it was it's hilarious but uh yeah the second one is uh bad 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 uh, what did you guys think about all these uh, recommends and warns we just did? Uh, man, we went through the gamut, didn't we? Sure did, man. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a variety here. Yeah, not too many podcasts will get through like a high minded documentary. I was gonna say and neighbors too. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Chris is doing like all these really nice documentaries and stuff. We're over here like cursed neighbors yeah. too. Cursed better than you think. <laughs> Here's my hot take. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, anyway, what did you think about any of these movies? Did you want to see some of these movies? Have you seen them? Do you disagree, agree, whatever? I don't know. Go to Facebook. We're at, yeah, uh, I don't know. We're at, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, fuck. Go fuck yourself. Just go and write something, you motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, we're on Syncast, presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter. Uh, we have uh, uh, SoundCloud. We're also on Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to Reddit page and find the link on the right side of the page, or you can go to me on Facebook and I, on the private messages, and I'll give you a link there. People can reach you somewhere too, John. Uh, I, I'm technically I'm on Twitter. You can reach me at Sam Loomis 13. With the election stuff heating up, though, I, I it's rough on Twitter right now. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm on there as much as I can be. There you go. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm just joking. But and then it, I'm also on a, a podcast. You can hear me every week or most weeks on Behind the Sins with uh, Aaron Dicer and Danae Hughes and 
Chris and I have been doing a lot of mini pods for yep. the Sincast, so we uh you can you can hear those most weeks yeah sometimes i know what i'm talking about sometimes i don't <laughs> uh, anyway uh, that'll do it for this week it's chris atkinson barrett share and jonathan watkins we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com Did you vote this morning already? Yeah, yeah I already did it too. I, I, the early, earlier you can do it, the best. You didn't early vote. You voted early today. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. But I mean, early voting too, but I never think about it. And I, I always think of the day. Yeah, yeah. I always I always vote early. I oh, just, yeah? It's just easier. No, I'm sure it is. No, yeah. Uh, but uh, but what's good is that, you know, the, the only, really the only thing good about waking up early in these, in, in my old age, <laughs> um, I, like I hate it in, 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 in all fact, because I don't have to, I don't have to get up at six thirty, but I do, and uh, and so like, uh, but getting up that early and like they moved it, they moved it an hour up yeah, because yeah. of the tornadoes and everything. But and which made me ask other questions like, what is an hour gonna do? Yep. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it gave the pollster people more time to get there. I guess, but I, I feel like it's just if you're trying to do anything uh, related to the tornadoes, an hour isn't going to be enough. Like, Mm -hmm. anyway, yeah. uh, The only thing good about waking up early is that I can just go over at you know when it opens, Mm -hmm. and there's not many people there, and just go ahead and do everything and (laughs) out. Yeah, you really don't have to get up because you don't have the kid to get ready for school. Nothing. That's so, true. And you have, you know, <laughs> it's even better. He's got the girl in the closet. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still feed her, but but that was a fucked up interview. Though. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I, I just really love hands. I think hands are really, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I think so too, man. <laughs> have you seen Midsummer? Oh yeah, I saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. Did you really? Yeah. I don't know if I've talked to you about it. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard to say like you would. I mean, well, I, it is kind of entertaining, <laughs> but uh, well, no, it's super entertaining. But, uh, it's, it's funny. God, the weirdest, too. the weirdest. That's still that's the weirdest sex scene ever. Like they're like, like pushing. I'll never get that out of my mind. Them just pushing his ass Dude, the, the <laughs> and the look on his face because he's he's got like he he took something right. They, mm-hmm. they, they, they gave him LSD or something. Because uh, I haven't seen it. I've only seen it the one time because I didn't do the Sens video. So. <laughs> the best part about that is they're all like clutching their breasts and they're all yeah. naked and everything around him. And he's doing his thing and he's looking all like paranoid. Yeah. And then the older woman like goes down by his face and starts singing to him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that too, man. <laughs> he's like, yeah. And he's just like, but he's still going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then gets brutally murdered, right? Mm-hmm. Like pretty much right after that. And he that, does. When he gets killed. Uh, well, I mean, he, he runs out with his wang hanging out. Oh, yes, that's right. And then he gets uh, paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And then he gets stuffed into a bear. And then he dies. Yeah. Then they that is one burn of, him down. That mm-hmm. is one of those weird movies, though, where you're you're definitely siding with Florence Pugh the whole movie. And then right at the end, you're like, oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, man, I was waiting for that. I was like, yeah, because he is such a fucking. Oh, dick. no, no, he is. He is. He definitely is. I mean, I mean, I'm still sorry. I think he deserves just... getting burned. In a yeah, I know. That's thing. the only thing. 
and, and, <laughs> and, and, and her her being so like just so like pleased by it i think is the is the weird i thing, mean but. when you when i watched it again I, I we had to cut so many sins of me repeating boy this guy's an asshole yeah because he's he's an asshole demonstrably but then he's also like micro assholing like mm-hmm. uh like there's the, the the time where they come back from the party she discovers that he's going to sweden mm-hmm. <clears throat> because his friends bring it up and so uh you know, he comes back and they, they have a, a bit of an argument in the uh, the apartment. It's a beautiful scene. And he's like, well, you know, I mentioned that uh, I might want to go. And Ed just, just kind of came around and uh, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's like, how, how do you make that decision without telling me? And all this, you know, you, you're not even like communicating with me. Eventually, she apologizes to him. Right. And she's like, well, I'm sorry, you know, I, I I didn't mean to push you away or anything like that. She's apologizing to him for him not telling her that she's going to Sweden. And that's such just a microaggression that I got is got to be in a relationship just like the most infuriating thing. So, yes, he decides to uh, die, he deserves to die in a bear suit. Yeah, there's a, you know, something to be said for, <laughs> you know, insensitive dickheaditude in a movie mm-hmm. uh, that uh, makes it where you know normally the actions that that guy did don't deserve a death of that sort but man we were we just did the boy too yeah. and and there's a scene in the boy too where there's just some asshole kid that shows up to visit katie holmes and and, <laughs> and uh, her husband and uh he's instantly a dickhead like instantly a bully instantly like it's mean a, to this dude it's insane and just is and is never relenting there's like not even one bit of nice in oh, him. no it's like i mean it's, he doesn't do this but it's essentially like if he just showed up and was like hey fuck you what the fuck fuck you you know I mean, it's just it's an, he's just immediately like being really aggressive towards wow. this kid and then there's a point where you know because the doll is out there and everything like they're so, okay so dickhead is they're playing uh fucking croquet or some shit and dickhead is swinging his mallet around and he swing hits that you've seen part of this in the trailer he sw- one of the little posts becomes like a sharp object after yeah. he swings that mallet around and then finally when it you know things get really fucked up that kid gets thrown into that that thing that's sitting on the yard and you're just like good yeah <laughs> yeah that was the that's the cold open fuck that's that what, guy yeah that's what we're talking about the cold open that you go and you're just like good mm-hmm. yeah and then i turn on movie in the morning and i'm like toxic avenger fuck yeah let's do this shit i did the same thing man i did you watch it too i did already this morning i did God, what is man that's crazy. an hour and 20 minutes yeah, yeah. I, no i can't be long i i haven't seen some that. of it i had on in the background as i was doing on i haven't things. seen that you don't have to watch was... it intently no <laughs> i don't think i've seen it since i was a kid oh yeah or like a teenager that, or whatever but of when all it came the, out of all the movies that you've said that you saw when you were a kid toxic adventure might be at the top of that like <laughs> what the fuck yeah, that was that like uh that was like a rental like a sleepover rental a bunch of guys <laughs> you know? like, yeah because it was like there was even there was a toxic avenger cartoon i mean there was? Mm-hmm. yeah toxic crusaders yeah toxic avenger toxic I used to always, crusaders i used to always see it at the video store and i'm like whoa that looks like a bunch of trash i'm not watching that shit and it is but it is. it's fun i mean it it's is. kind of similar to garbage pill kids the movie which mm-hmm. i also saw as a kid. Mm-hmm. yeah i wouldn't be surprised if garbage pill kids got inspired by toxic avenger mm. 1984 like garbage pill kids wasn't wasn't long after that 85 yeah. 86 maybe somewhere yeah, around somewhere there, there. 
fucking tops tops makes baseball cards they're like all right let's let's do these stickers of like unzipped zach and uh shit like that she just starts whacking off like as soon as she sits down and doesn't that... she like and don't they like so there's one scene early on where she goes into the sauna still has the towel on yeah. everything and her boyfriend shows up with a towel over his head yeah and so they're gonna go fuck in the sauna yes but then there's one like exact note for note <laughs> i think they use the same footage of her going in there and then she's looking at a picture or something <laughs> like it was like my my head at this point in time is so like at, like you know tuned into what modern stuff is yeah i i thought I, I for for a brief moment I thought a phone. Yeah, yeah. I had the same thought. There was e- there's even a part in there where there's a, a an overweight woman who's who's uh exercising in the gym pulls something out of her back pocket and I was like oh that's your phone. <laughs> Wait a minute, 1984. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, she goes in the sauna on that second trip and then uh, whatever she's looking at. Gets uh, all horned up. Yeah, she gets all horned up. And of course, the Toxic Avenger shows up with a towel over his head. <laughs> because and sits her down on the coals. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because he knew about all, he knew about that. He knew about that whole thing that his, her boyfriend liked to do. I had a fucking blast watching this. I man. did too, man. It's, 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 it's weirdly super fun. <laughs> I just watched the first episode last night. So I'm, I'm, it's, it was good. I'm looking forward to finishing it. What is it? Uh, uh, millions so there's the the we, we actually brought this up a couple years ago because the story finally had come out uh the monopoly game that mcdonald's had run mm. uh was basically a scam not by mcdonald's but by people who had control of where the pieces were going it was and, the advertising firm or what, whoever yeah. created the game. It was the head of security. Yeah, that McDonald. Like the the one thing about the the documentary that they're talking about is that the uh, the advertising firm pretty much is carte blanche when it comes to what they market at McDonald's. Huh. They don't. McDonald's doesn't even. I don't <coughs> think McDonald's even looks at the ads or anything. I guess they're just trusted to do these do these things or something. Huh. That's how much power they have. So yeah, a guy who was a head of security of this one place uh had access to the to the like boardwalk and the instant million dollar winner and all that and he found a way to like distribute these to family members who didn't have the last same last names or friends or things like that Hmm. so um so all of these people were winning million dollar prizes oh wow and uh so then it it starts off with the, the whole show starts off with how the fbi started figuring this out that guy yeah. seems like an asshole too. That FBI agent, the one from Jacksonville. Maybe he's not. The, or maybe the the main young yeah, guy. Yeah, he's just like he's just. Like, I don't know what to think of that dude. I don't, <laughs> asshole's not what came to mind, but like one of those who, people who try to be funny and are, are yeah. not funny, but but very like happy go lucky type of guy, or whatever. And yeah, that's probably right. I don't know. I don't know. He seemed like a he seems like a lot to deal with. Like he was talking about like at that one the first meeting with McDonald's, he showed up in a gold suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Showed up in a gold suit. What is this on? HBO. HBO. They I, I think know, it I, I think it, it ends next week. It's been on it's like the Monday like they do the documentaries like on Mondays or whatever. It's been like a it's been on for the last few weeks. So Check yeah, they're going deep. They go in pretty deep. Six episodes, six one hour episodes about this thing. Wow. And uh and so like the the first part of it is the part that I found the most compelling. They've they're doing something that a lot of these documentaries about criminals 
haven't done in the past where they're like really uh, diving deep into the people and the people who are related to the people mm-hmm. and everything, you know, whereas like the, like Bundy, Bundy documentaries, like leave all the victims out of yep. it. And, yep. And uh, focus on how he was really kind of a good dude. Yeah. You know? This right. went on from 89 to 2001. Yeah. It was they a long would, time. They, I mean, it's literally, they would have gotten away with it yeah. too if it hadn't <laughs> been for some meddling person. <laughs> but that's why everybody always talks about like, you know, I had every piece except the one for each of the things. And oh, that's, that's, that's pretty much why. That's I think wild. some of the smaller prizes probably got won by regular like oh yeah i mean cheating, i won but... fries all the time and some drinks and <laughs> yeah. oh well, that for sure i was thinking like i think maybe like the like i don't know like the boats or yeah, I, don't, maybe, I don't know well some one dude one dude a part of their scheme won a car yeah. and one dude um and then there's like a hundred thousand dollar prize too that people won so i didn't even know there was an instant though like i didn't know there was an instant million i thought you had to get boardwalk and park place because i saw the first episode where they get that they the first guy they go undercover to try to get you know, he's talking about I dropped the People magazine in the ocean, and then I just happened to go by the store and pick up another one. And <laughs> right. The insert was in there, and I won a million dollars. He tells the story convincingly yeah, too. Very like much. if you didn't know the information, the FBI guys knew when this because they this is going to make you want to watch this. Right? Totally. <laughs> uh, the FBI decides that they're going to dress up as a camera crew to go and interview the winners <laughs> oh and uh and so they are they are from mcdonald's they get one person from mcdonald's in on it and then like they go into these people's houses and like so tell us how you won <laughs> oh shit <laughs> and it's pretty great and, they even bring the check yeah bring the oh, check shit. yeah all that nice. it's uh it's, and, then, and then they get them they like talk the guy into going to the, the places like the store so they have footage of that and the beach so they have footage of that and it's 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 pretty interesting. oh this is their footage that they're showing like uh, yeah. so i think some of it they That's do hilarious. there is like some i mean i i don't know how much i know in the first episodes all i've seen there is a little bit of reenactment but it's more like it's more just like footage it's yeah not, the reenactment is usually yeah. like you don't see people's faces or if you do you see them from afar and they can believably be the person but yeah, no, they went to this guy's house and like, and then he was telling them all these places he went. So they, so the guy was like, well, let's just go to those. And he, and he just kind of decides on his own too. He's like, let's just go to those places. And I, I don't know, you know. Yeah. So because they, Hey, we're, we're McDonald's. We're having yeah. fun. We're trying to figure out what it's like to win a million dollars. And yeah, <laughs> it's kind of brilliant. Yeah. 